Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. It is Wednesday, October 16th, and live from the Chicago Sun-Times Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue, this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, hosts of Humanity in the Headlines, Atiba Buchanan and David Seaton are going to be breaking down last night's Democratic debate. And what well, we're going full on debate today because also breaking down the debate last night, our good friend Samina Mustafa. And now your host, Chicago Reader columnist. What are you doing? Play the organ. Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this. Look what I found Thursday or Wednesday. Oops. And here's oh why. Hang tight with this gang. You know, I actually wrote Thursday down. Huh, what was I thinking? I know what I was thinking. Thursday is strike day. That's what I was thinking. Anyway, as you know, folks, I've been very occupied, preoccupied the last few days by things like the teacher strike here in Chicago. The threatened teacher strike looks like that's going to happen, D. Uh, and everything else going on uh, in Trump land, which I just call everything gate. It's really hard to keep up with all the action uh, in with the negotiations with Donald Trump, et cetera, et cetera. And it's been so difficult uh, that I've been for- forgetting what we were talking about mm, about three or four weeks ago. So imagine my surprise when last night I looked up and discovered the Democratic primary for president yes they're still running oh my goodness let's see can i do this off the top of my head no amy klobuchar elizabeth warren uncle joe bernie sanders bernie mayor pete kamala harris you still drinking that kamala kool-aid d me yeah (laughs) i don't think you were ever uh leah wherever you are your favorite candidate cory booker Yang Castro, the new guy Steyer, the old new candidate Tulsi. They were all there on the stage. I probably forgot somebody. There were so many people on the stage last night. Uh, I'd forgotten. You know, it's funny with all the, the everything going in the world. I sort of forgotten uh, that there was a presidential race on the Democratic side. And I was just getting ready to vote for whoever they nominated uh, against Donnie Trump. But there they were all lined up behind the podium, eager to uh, win us over. And so I watched the great debate. Uh, and I had to watch it uh, on a phone, D, because it wasn't on <laughs> real TV. So I'm watching on my beloved little bulls. That's phone. a lot of people these days, though. Yeah. I'm sure there's a ton of people listening right now who just watched it on their phone. The problem with watching it on the phone, I haven't figured this out. You could help me because you're a millennial, mm-hmm. is that I haven't figured out how to watch something on a phone and not be interrupted by texts. Oh, I mean, that's no, you can't. Oh, really? Yeah. I yeah, just yeah. thought it was, I didn't know that because I wasn't a millennial. Yeah, so yeah. I text her coming, hey, how about those bulls? And I'm, you know, because obviously not everybody in the world was watching. I mean, it'll it come up on your screen. That's what you're saying. You don't want it to come up on your screen? Oh. <laughs> oh hold on. Wait. Oh, yeah. I didn't help you with anything. I'm asking you. Oh, no. It Did just it come up on your screen? You know, it came, it would like obliterate what I was watching. I was like, the text would come in and I wasn't, I, hey, whoa, what happened to the debate? Or a phone call would come in. Oh, hey, Ben, what's going on? Oh, you know, the phone call would, and I'm like, 
you know, someone would call to cut a deal, come on the sheet. I'm always cutting deals, oh, do you, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so I'm missing, you know, like I would miss about a, I didn't really miss anything, 20 seconds here, 20, I'm watching this debate. Uh, and then I had to go pick my wife up from somewhere. So I heard the end of the debate on NPR, D. Have you ever listened to uh, NPR do the debates, huh? NPR, they're uh, they're down there by Navy Pier, right? Well, that's, okay, that's the local affiliate. Uh, you I can't remember their name now. You know, you think it'd be easy to remember their name. <laughs> uh, I got plenty of jokes like that, ladies and gentlemen. Actually, that's Dennis's joke. I just shamefully stole it from him. NPR, like their thing is they're really smart. Oh, we're so smart. Yeah, the thing not. about our show is we're really not. Uh, anyway, so uh, yeah, so I had to hear the end of the debate uh, on NPR. You know what? It's like nothing. No time. At, Left. I mean, it was just like they picked up right where they were. Okay, there were some differences. Like the, a couple months ago, everybody was bashing Uncle Joe because he was the front runner, right? Or Grandpa Joe, whatever he is. So when when uh, when they had the first couple debate, bam, Joe, bam, Kamala Harris, whoa, looked like Muhammad Ali dancing. Uh, and last night, everybody was uh, beating up on Elizabeth Warren because she's the front runner. So that's the great Democratic strategy. Well, it's, I guess that's just politics. You know, you just switch targets, go. After the front runner, try to win some points at that person's expense. Uh, that's politics in America. You know. So here we go. Oh, Elizabeth Warren. Yeah, what a phony you are. What a fraud. <laughs> yeah. Sound like, like the Jimmy Dore show broke out on stage. Jimmy Dore, by the way, for our listeners, is uh, a very talented comedian who does his own podcast and uh, is very critical of Elizabeth Warren. It sounded like Jimmy Dore was writing some of the uh, uh, counterpoints that the Democrats were hurling uh, at Elizabeth Warren last night. Other uh, thing that was just picked up from last time, and uh, we're going to be talking to Samina about this, the age-old debate over health care. D, I thought I'd just step back in time and was listening to a debate from July or something. It was just once again, there we go. We had Bernie and Elizabeth championing the need for a Medicare for all plan. Everybody's covered, paid for out of our taxes, just like getting garbage collection. You know, think about that. Just like getting garbage collection. And uh, and there were the moderates, Amy Clover. It was like Amy Klobuchar, Mayor Pete, who else? I mean, like, oh, no, no, that's terrible. You can't do that. And they're arguing. <laughs> they're, uh, one good thing they've stopped doing. They've stopped arguing that people love their uh, private plans. I didn't, I, I didn't pick up on the love. People love their private plans. People support their private. I didn't pick up that so much. The, uh, you know, uh, like they must've done some polling that showed that people don't actually love their private plans. So they dropped that line, but now they're talking about, they fought hard for it. This is kind of an echo of what Tim Ryan was saying. He wasn't on the debate last night. Tim Ryan, the Congressman for Ohio, who was in the, uh, the moderate in the early debate saying, he was standing up for union negotiated uh, health care plans and he was standing up for unions who fought hard to get uh, good health care plans in their uh, bargaining agreements, uh, to which I say I pretty much any union person I know would happily trade in whatever plan he or she has, uh, which he or she pays for out of their income. So they get more we would get more money back uh, in favor of a plan that was paid for out of the general tax revenue. So anyway, uh, in defense of those, that's the language they're using now in defense of those hard-earned uh, uh, union contracts, et cetera, and so forth. Uh, but anyway, I, when I was listening to Bernie and Elizabeth uh, Warren defend Medicare for All and listening to the moderates like Klobuchar and Mayor Pete attack it, I had like a, uh, it, it struck a chord because it kind of reminded me of the teachers' negotiations here in Chicago between Lori Lightfoot and the CTU, Lori Lightfoot and 
uh, Stacey Davis Gates, uh, Vice President of the Chicago Teachers Union, frequent visitor to this show, by SDG. the way. SDG. <laughs> uh, the governor, we call her. Uh, but uh, Lori is a little from that, like, Amy Klobuchar school. You know, we, yeah, we, like on the issues of nurses, for instance, and social workers, librarians. We'll get into this a little later. D, I know you got some clips from Lori Lightfoot. Uh, you know, Stacey Davis Gates is saying it's a fundamental right. Every kid in, uh, in every school should have at least one nurse uh, in every school, one librarian in every school. And Lori was like, well, yeah, I think I I don't know. Nah, you got to work on your Lori impression. <laughs> Who was that? Like an imitation? Ken imit- Davis. Yeah, it was Ken Davis. I started a Lori Lightfoot imitation and out came Ken Davis. <laughs> so is life. You know what? I gotta, we got to bring Kenny D back to Absolutely. the show. He, just, he loves defending mayor. He's going to defend Lori Lightfoot in the trains. All right. And somehow he's going to defend Lori. Anyway. Come uh, back, Kenny D. Yeah, come on back, Kenny D. Um, but uh, anyway, so listening to the debate, I had to sense it, it was there's some similarities, some parallels between Bernie and Elizabeth Warren and how they advocate for Medicare for all and the CTU, how they advocate for a nurse, and a librarian, social worker, and a counselor in every school and how they're sort of like forced forcing that centrist wing of the Democratic Party, just the Lori Lightfoots, the Amy Klobuchar's, the Mayor Pete's of the world to come to the left. Come on, you can do it. You can move left. You can give people what they want. Come on. Come on, you can do it. Move to the left. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'll tell you this, though. We're heading into a teacher strike. We're going to talk about that with Dee at length. And uh, I hope it's short. And I hope uh, we emerge with nurses and social workers and counselors uh, in every school or a commitment uh, in, in writing to have nurses and social workers and counselors in every school. Uh, we're about 30 years late on that, but uh, I guess better late than never in the city of Chicago. I'd like to apologize to all the kids who went to the Chicago public schools all the years, all these years without nurses, social workers, and counselors, or who went to the Chicago public schools with overcrowded classrooms. It's a damn shame it took this long to even address these issues. It's a damn shame that it has to come down to a collective bargaining issue. It's a damn shame uh, this, that the city on its own the leaders of this city on their own would not make a commitment. And uh, I three cheers to the Chicago Teachers Union for standing up and forcing the powers that be in this town uh, to make a commitment in this area. But anyway, having said all that. Wait, did you say cheers for the Chicago Teachers Union? Yeah. Yay for our teachers! Yay for our teachers! Bruce Rutter agrees. Bruce Rutter, huge fan of the Chicago Teachers Union. Uh, but uh, anyway, I got a feeling that uh, Lori Lightfoot and Stacey Davis Gates have more in common than we realize, D. And uh, they both need know, they both realize that if Chicago's going to address all the needs it, it has, it's going to need a little help from the Fed. So I would like, I would hope, I would hope that when this teacher strike is over, I keep talking about the strike. It's, it's not an official strike yet, D. We're one day off, but... When this labor impasse, that's how they put it, is over, uh, that Lori Lightfoot and Stacey Davis Gates, who sort of represent, if you will, the Amy Klobuchar's and the Bernie Sanders of Chicago politics, the moderates and the lefties, they come together and demand that uh, the the candidates running for president, the Democrats running for president, uh, would have some kind of an urban agenda uh, where they're committing to uh, uh, raising money. Dedicating money, dedicating federal dollars to help cities like Chicago deal with uh, poverty, to deal with the need to have nurses and social workers and counselors in public schools where the tax base can't provide them on its own. So I would hope that when this impasse is over, Lori and Stacy can see what they have in common, because I think they have more in common 
than they currently realize. We got a great show today. As Dr. D said, Atiba Buchanan and David Seaton will be here, but not, they're not just talking about that uh, last night's debate. They're going to chronicle uh, a week's worth of Trump news. Get out they're of here. fired up, man. Yeah, I just call it everything gate. You know, every, I used to call it whistleblower gate, Ukraine gate, you know, uh, Mueller gate gate, Russia gate. Too many gates. There's too many gates. Everything gate. Stacey Davis gates. Whoa, that's actually not bad. I got to give, man, you're on a roll today. Uh, and, we'll see how uh, it goes. So they're going to break it down, and you're going, wait, wait, Ben, it's Wednesday. Where's Monroe? Monroe? Okay, yes, indeed, Monroe Anderson, the legendary Monroe Anderson. He's off for three weeks, D. I didn't know that. I, I talked know. to him last night. Oh, Monroe, you coming in tomorrow? Oh, Ben, I'm on the coast. Uh, he's on the coast. He was wearing sunglasses. He was driving. <laughs> So he's not going to be here this week, He'll be, and he won't be here next week. He's cutting deals on the coast, Good huh? God. <laughs> he's with his son, Kyle. Uh, they're out on the coast, man, hanging out on the coast. So, uh, I mean, I wish I was hanging out on the coast right now. Sometime. Smoking doobies. Smoking <laughs> Monroe, back in the day. Big doobie smoker. Oh, right. okay. Back in the day, of course. Uh, anyway, so uh, Atiba and David will be uh, sitting in for Monroe Anderson doing a lot of Trump, 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 Trump talk. And then uh, Samina Mustafa and Candace Castillo may be dropping in as well if she can get away from the city council meeting to break down uh, last night's debate and tell us what it means. And Samina told me, she was on the phone with me just a little while ago, D, she's going to take the deep dive on Medicare for All and t- try to distinguish between the Medicare for All uh, plans of Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren and the, oh, can't we all just get along and keep all our plans of uh, your your favorite Amy Klobuchar and Mayor P. <laughs> Love her. Uh, anyway, so uh, plenty of political talk, local, national, Bernie, Elizabeth Warren, Amy Klobuchar, Mayor Pete, Lori Lightfoot, all that good stuff. But before we get into any of it, the young man from Alton, the legend, they call him the doctor with... <laughs> With the news. <laughs> hey, everybody. What's going? All right. Uh, yes. Plenty of discussion on last night's debate to come here on the program. Who won? Who lost? And who is Tom Steyer again? <laughs> the billionaire. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> Get it straight. We'll figure He's all of this out. Billionaire. We'll figure all of this I out. I like him, by the way. Oh, Kinda big like Steyer, Steyer guy? I'm feeling Steyer, man. All right. All right. You got a desire for Steyer, as they say. I just made it up. Oh, okay. All right, but we're going to figure all this out later on. But first, we have to talk about the Chicago and or Illinois news happening this afternoon. This little light of mine, <laughs> I'm going to let it shine. Only one day left for our Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot in the city of Chicago to work out a bargaining agreement with the Chicago Teachers Union. And if not, only one day left until a Chicago teacher strike. We have updates, and they're not good. Right now, in my face, a quote from Chicago Teachers Union President Jesse Sharkey. This was from a news conference last night. Sharkey said that he is overwhelmingly certain the union's governing body will vote down the city's current proposals. And uh, he said, quote, I have to tell the people of Chicago that we have not achieved enough in these negotiations to say that we are done fighting. Discussions continued throughout the night and in the morning, and at 8 a.m. this morning, yes, while Ben was asleep dreaming about (laughs) tips or basketball or whatever. My beloved Bulls. Something. (laughs) Mayor Lightfoot held a press conference at City Hall on the matter. She laid it all out and said, (laughs) on Thursday, prepare for a teacher strike. 
Let's play the audio here. Shout out to ABC7 for the audio. Uh, we are here to let parents, students, and members of the public know that the Chicago Teachers Union leadership informed our bargaining team that they would recommend to their House of Delegates that a strike should proceed tomorrow. Without question, the deal that we put on the table is the best in the Chicago Teachers Union's history. It provides a 16% pay raise for all employees. It would lift up lowest paid workers immediately. On average, support staff will see a 38% pay raise over the life of the contract under the current offer. We have offered more than 80 proposed changes to the contract on issues requested by the union, including sanctuary school protections, a commitment against privatization, supports for oversized classes, changes to how we serve our special education students, and so much more. And since Friday, we've discussed a framework that puts enforceable targets on class sizes in high poverty schools and staffing level supports for personnel in the contract. The union said that these were its two most important issues. They wanted us to put it in writing, and that's exactly what we did. At every turn, we bent over backwards to meet the union's needs and deliver a contract that reflects our shared values and vision for our schools and the support of our students. Despite all this, the Chicago Teachers Union intends to forge ahead with a strike. Well, uh, you know, I was just on the phone before this show began oh, with a God. wise old veteran of teachers' negotiations. You know what that wise old veteran told me? What they said. You got to know when to hold them. No, but it may, basically, uh, that song just popped into my mind when I think of why. One of Dennis's favorite songs. Love Kenny Rogers. Uh, love Kenny Rogers. But, uh, you know, this is uh, the wise old veteran pointed out that there's there's just certain patterns to negotiations. So the union says one thing. Uh, Lori Lightfoot says another. When you hear the union talk, it's the, they're bending over backwards. They're trying to be accommodating. They've been giving these uh, proposals and uh, they've been stonewall, stonewalled by the, uh, the mayor and her staff. When you hear the mayor tell the story, it's she's being accommodating and the union's being uh, unreasonable. She didn't use that language. So it's just sort of that's this old wise veteran told me. He goes, that's how collective bargaining works, Ben. Okay, you got to understand that's how it works. So they're all they're all kind of playing to a script right now, D. They're all kind of playing to a script. But I will say this. I know you have more clips to come. Uh, at least Lori will we'll take a little deeper dive. I'm going to give her a, a shout out. Oh, okay, I've been okay. a little critical on Lori Lightfoot, uh, the way uh, on these issues of staffing in the schools and class size, et cetera, and so forth. Uh, but at least she's sounding, let me play some more clips. She is really clearly trying uh, not to sound like Rom. Which is, how was Rom sounding? Rom sounding is, shut the beep up <laughs> and get the beep in line, mother beep. That's Rom, okay? okay? That's how Rom deals with the uh, Chicago Teachers Union care. You're going to do what I say, and you're going to do it now. Drop down and give me 10 push-ups. Oh, and one more thing. I'm smart. You're not. Yeah, well, that's just, you know, across the board. Uh, well, <laughs> Biden. Uh, by, by, Rom loves Biden, ladies and gentlemen. By the way, is Rom still riding that bicycle thing? Yeah, he's still riding oh, okay. it. I don't have the cue ready. Oh, I love it when you play that cue. Anyway, so, uh, yeah, Laurie's sounding, you know, but, but that was that... That my old wise uh, union strategist has been there day at the bargaining table says, that's how they talk.
Anything else you'd like to say? No, I want to hear the rest of the bit. Oh, you too, huh? All right, Lori Lightfoot continues. The union will say they need a nurse in every school. I agree. And we put it in writing in the contract in a way that ensures that it happens. The union will say that they want more support for students experiencing homelessness. We did that. We offered to put those additional supports in the contract. And here at City Hall, our Department of Housing and our Department of uh, Children and uh, Families and Support Services, we are making historic advances when it comes to affordable housing and dealing with homelessness. The union says it wants smaller class sizes memorialized in the contract. We agreed and offered more funds to reduce class sizes in high poverty schools along with an enforcement mechanism that will make it happen. So why don't we have a deal? The union has told the public repeatedly that the two issues we need to resolve are class size and staffing, and we have met their needs. But behind the scenes, they've continued to bring up additional bargaining issues that they say must be resolved before they can have a contract. For example, the union is still demanding to shorten instructional time by 30 minutes in the morning. We won't do that. We will not cheat our children out of instructional time. And I won't agree to any changes that do that. The union wants more money for teachers and staff on top of the generous offer that we have already put on the table. CTU isn't satisfied with the average teacher getting a 24% increase and every teacher getting at least a 16% increase over the life of the contract. On Friday, they proposed an additional $230 million in teacher pay over the life of the contract. Same goes for support staff, where average uh, five-year raises of 38% apparently are not good enough either. They want to go back to wasteful practices, like getting paid out for unused sick leave, which would cost CPS $25 million a year conservatively. We can't agree to that. Yeah, see, so now she's uh, she's getting at it. She must have read that same Chicago Sun-Times article that we read yesterday, D, that showed roughly 50% of the people in Chicago favor uh, the union in this negotiation. See, uh, Lori's strategists have been... Um, have been very focused on portraying the union as what, like this band of, re, of of radicals who want to go on strike for the sake of going on strike just to get payback for the mayor mayoral election, uh, which is a little insulting to all the teachers who voted to go on strike and who are sacrificing quite a bit to go on strike. Uh, but so now they're sort of uh, they 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 want to give a they want to win over the public by saying we've it's not just that they're unreasonable we've been reasonable and now they're uh, pointing out they're taking away off the table the notion that we need more staff nurses and more social workers and counselors by trying to pretend that so that is they've dealt with it they've made the commitment and so now it's just uh, unreasonable union rhetoric so i don't know i'm not there at the table i don't see what uh what proposal is the the union is facing i do know this until the union demanded that Lori Lightfoot uh, and the powers that be in the city of Chicago commit to putting nurses and social workers and counselors and librarians in the public schools, it wasn't on the table. So now it's on the table. Oh, yeah, of course we did that. Yeah, I agree with them. Ah, come on, everybody agrees with them. Oh, well, how come it took like two months of negotiating? <laughs> You've been mayor since April. You could have done it day one. You could have said, hey, you know what? Number one thing on my agenda is to put a nurse in the public schools. 
That's more important than Lincoln Yards. In fact, I'm going to postpone the, the Lincoln Yards deal because I'd rather spend the $2.3 billion we're committing to Lincoln Yards uh, and uh, the 78, uh, these two development deals. I'd rather commit that money to hiring nurses and counselors and librarians. How about that, D? What number is that on your agenda? That would be number one on my agenda. Number one. Yes, Whoa. sir. But uh, I didn't hear Lori talking about that. Then. But you know what? Better late than never. So if it took uh, a strike by the the teachers of Chicago to get the powers to be in this town to say, yeah, you know, we want nurses in public schools too. Well, all right, better late than never, huh, D? And we got one more clip to play here from uh, this press conference. Right. And I just got to say, I personally cut this up because, well, she played one of my favorite hits. <laughs> CTU hasn't gotten the message. It demands to add another $2.5 billion per year to CPS's annual budget. That would double the cost Here of the CTU Here we go. contract. That's billion with a B. Yeah. <laughs> Did she, she said that. Wait, you just took that from no, the old tape. No, no, that was that was uh, this morning. That's billion with a B, which mines with P, which stands for pool right here at River <laughs> Boy, City. Still doing that every time we play that clip, huh? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so yeah, she loves that billion with a B. But uh, yeah, there. listen, I guess this is progress. Uh, she's formally recognizing uh, that we need a nurse, a social worker, and counselor in every school. She says it's in writing. Uh, so yeah, good for her. Good for Lori Lightfoot. So, you know, it looks like uh, Unless some deal gets made before tomorrow, it looks like a strike will be happening. And if all that teacher uh, turmoil weren't enough, the mayor now may have a little beef with the Illinois governor. And while I'd imagine that the only beef Lightfoot would like to have with him would be the one served at her next luncheon. She loves luncheons, everybody. (laughs) She loves lunch. That's unfortunately not the case. The following comes from the Chicago Sun-Times. Tinas Von Dellis and host of the new Fran Spielman podcast, our new studio roommate. That is correct. Fran Spielman. Wait, that is correct. Oh, okay. That's correct. Thank you. Political insiders (laughs) say Governor J.B. Pritzker was completely blindsided by Mayor Lori Lightfoot's new proposal for a publicly owned city and state Chicago casino and first read the details of her plan in the newspaper. Uh, just like me and you, D. Oh, we were, oh that's not good. <laughs> Lightfoot on Tuesday. Wait, hold on. Is it Stacey Davis Gates' fault? Uh, not yet. Oh, not yet. <laughs> They'll fill up that, you know, uh, Stacey Davis Gates. She's just unreasonable. Wait, is it her fault that she didn't, uh, Lori Lightfoot didn't tell the governor? I'm just wondering. I should blame that on Stacey Davis Gates as well. Lightfoot on Tuesday took umbrage at suggestions that she had somehow violated political protocol by briefing state legislators from Chicago about her veto session requests before sharing them with the governor. And she denied any suggestion that the governor was left out of the loop. Here's a quote from the mayor. Quote, there's no error. We've constantly brought the governor and his team along on the journey regarding casinos. I've spoken directly with the governor about what options are on the table. Pritzker spokeswoman Emily Bittner said the governor, quote, remains open to a number of approaches for making the Chicago casino successful. But with regard to public ownership, our administration would need to ensure that the challenges of public ownership are fully understood and Addressed, But political insiders describe Lightfoot's move as a, quote, my way or highway kind of approach. (laughs) She's getting it from Holland here, man. That's not good. That did not include all key stakeholders. Let's see here. This is a quote. uh, This is an insider from the governor's office. They got an insider here, an insider there. Oh, man. I think it was David Seaton that was the insider there. I I think it was David Seaton. I was thinking it, too. Uh, This political insider said, quote, they were treated 
treated as an afterthought when they should have been seen as a partner and an ally. The tensions could come to a head Wednesday as high-level staffers for the freshman governor and freshman mayor meet to hash out the details. Well, I think they'll hash out something or other. Uh, and you've noticed that they didn't quote J.B. Pritzker saying that, right? It was just some unnamed insider, right? Yep, so, some named it, some insider. Some unnamed insider. I wonder who uh, insider. I, went to, I think went to high school with a kid named Insider. Uh, but, uh, yeah, they'll work it out. Listen, it caught me by surprise. Matt Martin was in the studio yesterday, the alderman of the 47th Ward. It caught him by surprise. Uh, the, the announcement that the Lori Life was interested in uh, having a municipal-owned uh, casino. I'm not sure. I have to think through it. Got to see the details. You know, the devil's in the details, as David Seaton likes to say. I don't know if David likes to say that, but I'm saying he likes to say it. And uh, it sounds like something David would say. Uh, but it's true. You got to see the details before you can sign on to the plan. Uh, I, I was a little caught off guard at the original. What? The, the prelude to all this, ladies and gentlemen, is that the city of Chicago uh, had a deal, or excuse me, was allowed under state law to open up a casino finally. Uh, then the issue was where was it going to be? Uh, and then Lori Lightfoot commissioned a report, or there was some kind of report that came back and said there was not enough money uh, in the deal for, to make it profitable for a private uh, operator to run the casino, that too much of the money would be going to the state and the city. I always thought the whole purpose of having a casino to sucker uh, uh, saps into throwing away their money at, uh, at, a, at a gambling game that is set up so they lose, all right? I, ho- I thought the whole point of it was to gain money for the, the city and the state, and I didn't really care about the private operators, uh, but apparently we got to... They got to have their reason to be in the game. So now Lori Lightfoot is saying, well, maybe we remove the private operator as an owner uh, and just have them as a contractor and they'll work, you know, we'll hire them to run the casino. I have a friend, by the way. Uh, Name Insider? Uh, no, I have a friend named Norm who oh. d- he can run it. He does a casino game all weekend. He like the, he's the guy at the casinos, you know, for like fundraisers. And the man, give the job to Norm, man. Give it to Norm. Give give it to Norm. Good friend of mine, one of my best friends. Anyway, um, so yeah, this is uh, caught JB Pritzker off guard, but not so much off guard D that he personally criticized uh, Lori Light. He left that to. Uh, uh, insiders. Uh, and so, um, so we'll see. I'm sure they'll make up. All right. Good, good. So there you go. That's what's going on in Chicago and or Illinois this afternoon. We'll keep you posted on all these stories as today's program rolls along. Hopefully a deal will get cut, but it seems like a strike will be happening uh, tomorrow. And come on, Pritzker and Lightfoot. Come on, you're freshmen. Let, let's just figure it out. Come on, let's get together and figure it out. Am I right, Ben? Yes, let's get together. Come on. Come Can't on. we all get along? Can't we all get along? And uh, in other city news here, uh, we're having, well, it's not really news. It's more news on for us, the Ben Jarofsky Show. We reached 2,100 likes on the Ben Jarofsky Show Facebook page yesterday. And to celebrate, we're doing what we always do. We are having ourselves a caption contest. It's posted on the Ben Jarofsky Show Facebook page. And I'm going to, oh, it's pinned on the top of the page. Go check it out, at Benny J Show, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J Show. Uh, The last name of his, by the way, J-O-R-A, V as in victory, S-K-Y. I know it's tricky, but once you figure it out, you'll get it. Head over to the Ben Jarofsky Show Facebook page and leave us your caption. The picture just begging for your caption is one of Alderman Ed Burke. Yeah, you know, he has uh, ties with Donald J. Trump. And where's the picture of him here? Uh, talking to Donald Trump. Looks like Donald Trump's saying something to him. So picture that as I read the following captions here. A few of you have left your captions. We're going to read some of them. All right. Last week or last time we had a caption contest, Paul. 
won the caption contest. He got the $2.5 million. That was the prize. Yeah, <laughs> sure. He got that. Paul won the uh, caption contest yeah. last time. Can't remember what his caption was, but the champion's coming back. All right. He's got a great caption here. So once again, it's Donald Trump. Looks like he's uh, saying something to Alderman Ed Burke. Paul says, uh, Burke talking to Trump here. And he says, wait, were you saying grab him by the purse strings? <laughs> Uh, Paul's off to a good start again, man. Yes, he is. Uh, be like Paul. Send us your captions. We're going to be reading more of those later Steak on. Steak knives. That's what we're, we're giving not at. giving away anything. Oh, okay. We never do. Oh, Would you, do you see anything we can give away here? Uh, well, there's uh, Bernie for President Button. You're going to get rid of that button? You no, love that I button. I love this button with the reefer thing. Exactly. Yeah. So stop saying we're going to give stuff away. But send us your captions at Ben Jarofsky Show, at Benny J Show, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J Show. Don't go anywhere because coming up, we're going to be talking all things national news. Trump, the debate last night. It's the Ben Jarofsky Show, live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Attention Chicago innovators and creators, 2019 Chicago Ideas Week is coming soon. October 12th through the 17th, this annual Ideas Festival is back, and it's the largest, most affordable Ideas Festival of its kind. They bring in hundreds of thought leaders from around the globe and some local to share ideas and spark action all across Chicago. To get a better idea of what to expect, here's a bit of audio from last year's Chicago Ideas Week with special guest and Chicago comedian Hannibal Burris. The real reason I came home is just because I was trying traveling a lot anyway. I wasn't in New York that much and I don't have a full-time job in New York. I work a lot, but I'm not in New York. So it was just like, I don't, I don't need to be here anymore. And, I, and also I just wanted to work on different stuff here in Chicago. So I have this center that I'm working on on the West side, Melvina Masterminds. It's going to be arts and, and then a tech program and after school programming for uh, kids in the, in the North Austin area. So just wanted to be back. There we go. October 12th through the 17th, it's 2019 Chicago Ideas Week. Tickets go on sale to members on August 22nd and to general public September 10th. Once again, if you're an innovator or creator in the city of Chicago or even outside the city, you must join us for Chicago Ideas Week, October 12th through the 17th. For tickets and event information, head to chicagoideas.com. That's chicagoideas.com. And we hope to see you October 12th through the 17th. Commercial break over. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. Live from the Chicago Sun-Times. At T.B.B. Cannon, David Seaton in the studio with me. People are going, where's Monroe? Where's Monroe? Calm down, Monroe fans. He'll be back. He's on the West Coast. We gave him, we gave him a couple weeks off. Actually, we didn't give him a couple weeks. I didn't even know he took it off, Atiba. He just, all of a sudden, I was talking, Monroe, where are you at? Uh, I'm on the West Coast. I'll try to give everyone their Monroe fill. Putin. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> he says uh, but uh, he was, oh my goodness, uh, Atiba and David, he was feeling that. He said that he didn't know. This is classic Monroe. He didn't know if uh, Trump would still be in office by the time he did come back. You know, he's always predicted <laughs> Trump's taking a fall. And he was so excited yesterday. He was, dri right. he was driving down Highway 1 or somewhere in California, and he was trash-talking Trump, man. Love it. I love Jerry's that still guy. out if he was riding a scooter. Oh, he was definitely <laughs> not riding. The yeah, yeah, no, man. Oh, and I'll, before we go any further here, I want to give a shout-out to Barry. Barry's new on the live stream. He's listening now. He says, I uh, love this live feed, sitting in my favorite watering hole. He's sitting at a bar listening. What's up, Barry? All right, I like that. Yeah. Uh, uh, sometimes you have to have a, a, a drink or two to get through the news. So much to run down, Atiba and David. Uh, yes. But before we do, why don't you tell folks about your podcast and your appearance on BON so that uh, they can hear you uh, on your other venues and ventures. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, we're kind of in between names. 
because we're kind of transitioning from humanity in the headlines to the Buchanan and Seton show. So uh, the podcast is still humanity in the headlines. However, if you do listen to us on WVON AM 1690 this coming Friday night and next coming Friday night between nine and midnight, uh, we will be going under the moniker of the Buchanan and Seton show. Uh, so, yeah, right now we're, we're trying, hopefully trying to transition to something more permanent with WVON, but it, but they are they are calling us with a lot more regularity uh, than before. So it's, it looks to be heading in the right direction. We'll, you know, if, if everybody keep their fingers crossed, we appreciate it. Well, I, I'm going to put my two cents in WVON if you're listening. Uh, Buchanan and Seton are, in my opinion, total pros. Thank you. You should give them the regular show. Uh, they're. You know, they kind of blend. The one is more of the Biden, one is more of the Bernie. So they they play both, but they're both Democrats. Okay, right. all right. Now David Seaton, Neil Muhammad is just itching for a debate with you. I'm gonna have to bring you on. Neil Muhammad <laughs> uh, has put that out there. He wants to debate David Seaton, but David is more of the Joe Biden, and Tiba is more of the Bernie Sanders. But they're both very knowledgeable, and they're both uh, excellent, excellent radio p- personalities. So V O N. If I have any influence at what you do, and I know I don't, but if I do, hire these two. Give them a regular show. How about that, man? Appreciate it, man. Thank you for the shout-out. Great shout-out. That's correct. Uh, There we go. Robert Mueller agrees with us as well. All right, so much uh, uh, Trump gate news to to break out. I just call it everything gate these days, uh, David and Atiba, because it's just the one day after another brings one more outrage. Uh, And we're going to get into the presidential debates as well. But let's start with the Trump updates. And in the spirit of Monroe, uh, who's on the coast, as I said, uh, just give me the latest, Atiba. You, as you came into the studio, you said there was uh, new n- news about Rudy Giuliani. I missed it because I've been here in the studio. Well, yeah, they, uh, they had some breaking news basically in the Southern District of New York, which is the same entity that put Michael Cohen in jail. Um, they are they have been investigated, and these are the Southern District of New York also arrested the two Ukrainian gentlemen the other day, uh, his associates, mm-hmm. and. Um, Basically, what we learned today is that this investigation has gone back now to almost February of this year. Uh, and what, uh, uh, you know, Asha, the, the pretty Indian lady who's yes. a lawyer. On, okay, I forget her last name. Right. But she was on uh, CNN, and she was basically explaining that when you have an investigation through the Southern District of New York that lasts longer than six months, that means that, that basically it's really important and that he's probably now being viewed as um, a threat to national security. Otherwise, she said it, it would have to be six months or fewer as far as how the how long the investigation would go. If it's extended past six months, then it's really a lot deeper than we realize. In addition to that, that he hasn't been called to he hasn't been interviewed by SDNY. Right. That's the other major, major thing. If he was just a character, if he was on the periphery, they would have brought him in and, you know, spoken to him. The fact that they haven't spoken to him really shows that he's a target of the investigation. Yeah. And, and, and her thing was, even if, even if, because, it, because when you start talking national security, it's not necessarily about people breaking laws mm-hmm. because you could do something to, to hurt national security, but not do anything illegal, especially if you're doing something unwittingly. So their thing, you know, the, the thing at this point is they are, they are investigating him to basically figure out if he has been wittingly or unwittingly participating in what he's been, you know, what he's been participating in. And ultimately that, that boils down to foreign money into our elections. That's what those two gentlemen were basically arrested for was funneling foreign money into a U.S. election. And they're trying to figure out Rudy, Rudy uh, Giuliani's involvement. in that. So in other words, uh, they're investigating 
improprieties, uh, election law violations that would have potentially uh, given an advantage to the Trump team over the Democrats, as opposed to just investigating corruption, having nothing to do with politics. Do you follow? You understand the distinction? Exactly. And one is far more dangerous to the fabric of democracy in this country uh, than the other one is. They're both uh, should be prosecuted, obviously, but one is more dangerous and detrimental. Uh, Gentlemen, let's just pause and consider the career of Rudy Giuliani and uh, America's mayor, America's mayor. Now I'm going to make a confession here. I was never a fan of Rudy Giuliani. Uh, I have relatives who live in New York, so I'd be going back to New York. I'm older than you guys. So I'd be going back to New York uh, from the seventies, the eighties, the nineties. So I've watched the transition of these different mayors and the the myths that uh, certain mayors ride in on. And I'm just gonna put this out there. David Dinkins, who was the mayor of New York in the late 80s and into the 90s, um, got a bad rap compared to Rudy Giuliani. It was like, the way, like in the mindset of many New Yorkers, it was like, oh, Rudy Giuliani came in and all of a sudden our streets were clean. Uh, you know, uh, the government was more efficient. And just as a visitor to, this, to New York City, I, I personally did not see uh, much difference, but there's that myth that, that was embedded in people's minds. And then, of course, I felt he did perform well uh, in the aftermath of 9-11. It, uh, you know, he went down to the scene. He stood there uh, at, at ground zero. After the aftermath, I just thought he was, uh, the way he turned on the city workers, the firefighters and the police uh, who were poisoned and, uh, and, 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 and really made life miserable for them in terms of trying to collect their benefits, I thought he was outrageous. But since then, um, it's like a descent into just one of the most repulsive characters I've seen in national politics since Roy Cohn. Love, love to get your thoughts. Each one of you, starting with you, David, on Rudy Giuliani. Do you agree with me? Do you disagree with me? What's your thoughts on him? Uh, Rudy Giuliani is just one of those characters that just benefited from his place in history. If, if 9-11 or if, the, if those attacks had happened in any city, uh, or if any person had been mayor when those attacks happened, they would have been lauded to some degree for you know what they did and being the mayor at that time. But speaking as an African-American and thinking about stop and frisk, which for the African-American community was the biggest uh, legacy that that uh, Rudy Giuliani left, the broken window, uh, you know, approach that, hey, we, you know, if, if you see the smallest possible crime, go after that. And then that'll that'll filter its way up. I mean, New York, uh, New York City, where, you know, the New York Stock Exchange is, is probably the place of uh, certainly is the place in the last couple of decades where some of the some of the biggest white collar crimes have happened going all the way to the to, to to the crashing of the economy under George W. Bush and so forth and so on. So, I, you know, I don't really revere uh, Rudy Giuliani. I, 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 you would probably have to go back to when he was AG and he was going after the mob and, and, and some of his experiences then. But even then, he was doing that to build himself up so that eventually he'd be able to go into politics. So I think I think the Rudy Giuliani that we see today is the man who he always was. He was just able able to obfuscate that part of his personality because he was a mayor during 9-11 and, and he just knew how to play that politically. Oh, wonderful. Thank you so much. Very well said, David. I agree with just about everything you said. Uh, what I'd like to add to that is, you know, I, I haven't paid a whole lot of attention to, to Giuliani, so I know a little bit less about him. But this is what I do know. Um, I do know he cross-dressed. 
<laughs> and I and I don't say that lightly. What I mean is those are the things that I remember about him. Um, so, and I remember him being mayor when 9-11 happened and becoming America's mayor. And then him somehow thinking then that he had enough juice from that to go ahead and run for president. Um, and he he got he, he was brought back to reality very swiftly. Uh, since then, you, you got a chance then to see his ambitions. This is a guy that wanted to be more than just mayor of New York. Uh, again, he had president, he had aspir, he had presidential aspirations and uh, uh, linking himself to Donald Trump was just was just something he could do to get as close as possible to those aspirations that he had that went unfulfilled when America clearly was not necessarily um, in love with him enough to try and make him the even the Republican nominee. Well, when I watch him on TV, and it's it's remarkable the dexterity has uh, with the truth, and it, so he'll. I mean, you. It, it, I've said this before. It's 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 actually funny. He'll start an interview uh, denying that he did whatever or Trump did whatever. You can just fill in the blanks, and then by the end of the uh, the segment, he's saying, "Yeah, we did it. So what?" Yeah, and uh, it, it's as though he realizes, and Trump realizes this as well that their base is going to stay with them regardless. It doesn't matter what they say. It doesn't matter if they completely contradict uh, what they said a minute ago. And, and, that's, and that's an interesting point that you bring up because I wanted to take it back to his mayoral uh, when he was the mayor of New York. People forget, I mean, Republicans are masters of revisionist history, but a lot of people forget that, that uh, the, the, the towers were hit you know, 10 years before, or it was about, it was about 10 years before. Uh, 1993, yeah. Right, and... And when he became mayor, one of the biggest failings that happened uh, in 2001 was that the fire department and the police department and everybody else couldn't communicate with one another mm-hmm. because they had they had all gone to the mayor and said, hey, we need to get this unified communication system among all the emergency agencies so we can all communicate in case something happens. He didn't do it. And then so that 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 actually complicated the responses on 9-11 when it happened. And, and again, but most people, you know, that got swept very quickly under the rug. I remember people, you know, criticizing him about that. But, you know, again, he was being lauded as, you know, like you said, going down to ground zero and blah, blah, blah. But that's that same revisionist history that he uses when he was on uh, CNN with Chris Cuomo. And he said, well, did you ever, you know, try to go over there and, and, and ask uh, Ukraine about Biden and his son Hunter? No, I never did that. All I asked them was blah, 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 blah. And Chris Cuomo says, so you did ask him. <laughs> well, of course I did. You know, so same thing. Just, just, Dennis probably that the thing. only difference, the only difference in Rudy Giuliani 20, 30 years ago and today is that he's an old man and he doesn't have the, like you said, dexterity to keep the lie going, you know, longer. Or he doesn't care. And this is something else, Atiba, this is classic Trump. They don't care. They're not playing by the same rules that everybody else is. They've blown up. We've talked about this many times. Mm-hmm. Donald Trump has blown up all the rules, the, all the protocol that presidents or any public officials uh, have to follow. I know there's a blurring of the truth. I mean, I was in the Lori Lightfoot uh, just a little while ago talking about the negotiations with the teacher's contract. I realized, I saw where she was blurring the truth. But basically, you know, she was playing by certain rules and certain standards and she norms. Was, uh, norms, thank you. And she was acceptable behavior for uh, a mayor, or an executive who's in negotiations with a union, okay? But Donald Trump doesn't care about any of that. And that, uh, Giuliani says that's co- Democrats' biggest failings, but now 
it's going to become Republicans' biggest failing. Because now when we look at the situation uh, in Syria mm-hmm. with the Kurds uh, and Turkey, now we get to see where Republicans get to feel our pain because he doesn't care about any of the norms. He doesn't care about human rights. He, he doesn't care about American leadership. All he cares about, if you listen to him talk about why he pulled America out and where he's putting America into, it always comes down to money. He said, he, 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 out of one side of his mouth, he said, we're coming out of there because, and they said, well, what about those poor Kurds that's been fighting along, alongside us? And he said, well, we've been paying them. So they're okay. That's, that, that's literally how he sees it. Mm-hmm. And then when you look at putting troops into Saudi Arabia, then it, it, why, why are we doing that? Because we've, we've sat down and, and they've agreed to pay us. And my, my, the most obvious question I would love a reporter to ask him is, who's us? When you say Saudi Arabia is going to be paying us, who are they paying? Are they paying the Pentagon? Are they paying the State Department? Are they paying troops? What does that mean? And I didn't know that our troops were for hire. Mm. So now is this the U.S. Army looking out for America's best interests or are we just simply guns for hire? Mercenaries. Let's let's bring it to uh, the issue with Syria. Uh, And this has happened since the last time we were on the show. Uh, Donald Trump... uh, gave assurance to uh, Turkey that he would remove 50 to 100 uh, special uh, service forces, special forces soldiers from the northeast corner of of Syria. Just remove them, get them out of out of the way, so that Turkey was free to attack the Kurds. And um, and in the aftermath, immediately there was attack. And I, that is such an offensive maneuver on, on so many levels, Atiba and David, because. It wasn't a tremendous sacrifice that the United States had. It was more or less those soldiers were there and it was like everybody was honoring their presence, if you will. You know, it, they weren't under a threat from Turkey uh, as long as they were there. Remove them and Turkey had nothing to uh, limit it from attacking the Kurds. And now it's like the United States has betrayed the Kurds. I've got so many mixed feelings about the United States presence in the Middle East. Sometimes when Tulsi Gabbard talks in a debate, I find myself cheering her on. But the fact of the matter is, we're 18 years into our presence in the Middle East. Uh, Our presence in the Middle East has uh, turned up so much violence, has led to so much war and breakdown. This the presence of these soldiers in this corner was preserving a little peace. Now we're just like making a, a bad matter worse. And, ahead, and that's a little, Go ahead. while viscerally I, I, I want to agree with you, uh, it's a little simplistic. It's easy to say that we've been in Afghanistan for 18 years and forget that we've been in Japan and we've been in Germany and we've been in Europe since World War II. You know, so there is something to be said for the stabilizing, the stabilizing effect that the United States has post World War II uh, in a in a NATO in a world that has NATO that we provide that we provide. There's it is cheaper for the United States to to have a presence someplace than it is for us to not have that presence and then be engulfed in a world conflict. Uh, you know, it's it's interesting when you think in retrospect that World Wars one and two 
weren't called that until after they were over. And I think that if we're not careful, and it's really it's going to be really interesting how we end and how we ultimately pull out of the Middle East, because 50 years from now, we might remember this time as World War Three, especially now that Russia and 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 Russia and yeah. Iran are getting in, involved in, in Syria because we're pulling out. I mean, this might be, like I said, 20 years from now, 50 years from now might be remembered as World War Three. So it's 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 really important to remember that while while it's easy to just say just say reflexively oh we don't want to be in the middle east we've been there for 18 years i think people have a really short memory and they realize that this protectionism or non-interventionism or 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 just you know not being involved in the world like trump saying saying that he wants to do that type of behavior is what caused a lot of the global conflict. All right, let me let me happened let me have a famous clarification of my position. Uh, it was the United States invasion of Iraq in 2003 that I was alluding to. I never saw the justification for that, uh, and a lot of what is happening in Syria and in the Middle East is a result uh, of that destabilization. Of, that, of, of yes, of breaking down whatever order existed. Uh, and, and I'm old enough. I lived through the same through the same thing with the United States war in Vietnam and the collateral, devastating collateral impact it had, let's say, in Cambodia uh, and uh, some of the countries surrounding Vietnam. So when you make the decision to send in thousands and thousands of troops and bomb the heck out of a country, there's going to be a collateral reaction result. And I think a, a, much of the instability in Syria and in the Middle East is a result of that invasion in 2003. And my, I kind of agree with you. I'm saying the positioning of those 100 soldiers uh, on the border there between Turkey and northeast, northeast and Syria kept it's the stabilization that you were talking about. Exactly. We move those and we're having war again. And and I do think that there are a lot. Of, it's really important to, to remember also that a lot of the architects of our foreign policy today are people who were there in the in the 60s during the Vietnams and the Korean conflict. The the example that we got from our interventions in Asia and Southeast Asia is that is that those became economies that we that we built up and and you know China is you know that part of the world represents a lot of of, of the economic progress that that we've made as a as a people or as a you know, on this planet and I'm I'd like to think I'd like to think that a lot of those architects of those Asian of those wars in Asia probably think that there's a chance that that we could duplicate that in the Middle East. I don't know that I don't know that the, the culture there is so theocratic and it's and it's and it's it has it has not really embraced modernity. I don't know that you're going to be able to duplicate in the Middle East what happened in Asia. One thing I'd like to not forget or at least not go without mentioning is that there's a lot of civilian collateral damage in, in what's happened in just the past less you know four days. Um, there's just tons of footage of videos of mothers holding dead children, um, of women and children being killed uh, by Turkey. Uh, so let's just not forget that it's you know when we talk about these terms like the Kurds and Turkey and Syria, it's not just soldiers that are doing this fighting. Or there, it's not just soldiers that are that are suffering. This is this is something that is happening in, in particular to the Kurds, literally to their entire family structure. 
So just just we have to bear that in mind too. That's a, that's and that's another reason that it's so catastrophic is because it's, it's, it really just isn't just about soldiers. All right, and at let's, all. when we move to the, the domestic front, when we move to the impact of all this on the United States, we are obviously not under siege. Uh, we're not being bombed. We're not in the middle of a war. Uh, but there is a political fallout uh, here in this country. I'd like to talk a little bit about uh, the counter punch, if you will, by the Republican Party trying to defend Donald Trump is so offensive, uh, in my opinion. Love to get your thoughts on this, David and Atiba. Uh, the counterpunch, it's like, well, remember Donald Trump said, well, the Kurds weren't with us at Normandy. I don't know where that came from. The Kurds weren't with us at Normandy. D- Donald Trump, you never served in anything. <laughs> no one ever knows what he's talking about. I don't, I don't know how you can be like a, a White House press reporter and like, I, I, I don't know. You just never know. Like, how do you prepare to ask a question about something so inane and stupid? I just I don't even know. But yeah. but back to Republican fallout. Mm-hmm. I, you know, it's interesting because all the polls are, are indicating a few things is that he's 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 pushing the border of Republican support. Uh, whether it's the number of witnesses that are now coming forward, whether it, and it has a lot to do with his decision, uh, again, in, in, in Turkey and Syria. Um, so, again, the, the, we're seeing now Republicans who, you know, he, he's falling out with Lindsey Graham, of all people. On this particular on issue. On this yeah. particular issue. There, there are some Republicans that, you know, whatever, whatever spine they couldn't find <laughs> for the past three yeah. years— They've been able to find it now in the past three days. Yeah. Um, so, again, and, and the polls are indicating that impeachment inquiry support is up. Impeachment support is up. And it's up mostly among independents. Eighty nine percent of Democrats, uh, you know, support impeachment, which is what is which was, which is what to be expected. Six percent of Republicans, but fifty five percent of independents are now supporting impeachment of Donald Trump. And that should worry not just him. What, but what percent did you say? Fifty five. Wow. I read that the that the support for at least the impeachment inquiry among Republicans is up to thirty three percent. Yeah. They, yeah. I'm, I'm talking impeachment. OK. Yeah. Right. So but but again, the polls are still trending. Whether you're talking impeachment, inquiry, either way, all the polls are continuing to increase in ways that are not beneficial to Trump. All right. Well, I was just going to say that there's just a very human, there's just a very human element to this is that if you, if you see someone who, um, who, who mercilessly attacks your, your enemies, it's only a matter of time before they're going to attack you. It's just like if you hang around somebody that they just talk about everybody, then it's only, it's only a matter of time before they're going to attack you or talk about you. And and Donald Trump, he he just reflexively, just based on just ideology, has has attacked the Democrats regardless to what the position was. He didn't even have to hear the position. He 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 has for whatever reason been invoking Obama's name a lot more lately. I'm, he had a press conference today with the prime minister from Italy and they were asking him about something and he went into his normal, Oh, I want to know where the server is. And I want to know what happened to McCabe and struck and his, and his lover, Lisa page. And how high did it go? I bet it went all the way up to Obama. I mean, I don't know, but I think it went all the way up to Obama. So because he's so reckless in his attacks and, and because he's such a dilettante and so, and, and he, and he's not fact-based at all, Republicans had to, had to think it's something they had to, if they were being honest with themselves, they had to know in the back of their mind that their turn was coming. And if I, if I had to speculate about, if I had to speculate on why the, 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 
the, especially the Republicans in the Senate have been so aligned with him. And it's going to come out eventually. I, I'm 99% sure that it's going to come out eventually that Donald Trump has a file on most of these guys. And he's calling them up, up saying, hey, you either do either do this or this is going to be on the New York Times front page tomorrow. I, I just can't see I just can't see people doing this this big of a 180. It's one thing to say I'm going to support my president. But again, he's being so reckless. And now that he's attacking that one of their core one of one of the core the core of their ideology about, you know, getting how do you how do you turn against the people, the Kurds when they were the he keeps saying we caught or uh, we def- destroyed ISIS and the caliphate. No, the Kurds did that. Yeah. Those were the people who were fighting on the ground in the Middle East that, that got rid of that. that, that uh, and you know, suffered all the death and, and suffered, the injuries. Exactly. 10,000 deaths, 20,000 injured. No, I mean, you could take the, the, the traditional, uh, it's usually left and right, far left and far right, very critical of intervention in the Middle East. Tulsi Gabbard represents it sort of on, the, on the left. Uh, Rand Paul uh, represents it on the right. You could take those two uh, worldviews, but that they reflect a very a relatively small portion of the American people. The vast majority of the American people have bought into the notion, whether it's accurate or inaccurate, that the United States more or less has been uh, acting uh, on the side of good over the last 10 years in the fights in Syria uh, by siding with the Kurds. Now, Donald Trump is asking America on a dime just to throw that out the window because he cut a deal with the president of Turkey. Most people in this country, Atiba David, have no idea who the president of Turkey is, have no idea what the issues between Turkey and the Kurds are. They just know they've been they've bought into this general notion that the United States has been acting on on the side of good in this area. Now we're totally, oh, the Kurds don't matter. I, Donald Trump's daughter-in-law or somebody waited. I don't know if you saw this, a tweet, like from his daughter-in-law saying, like I, diminishing the Kurds. And that's just too much, I think, for Americans, David and Tiba, to just turn like that. Well, here's the thing. And we talk about the norms. Um, the first thing that he hasn't done, is he hasn't had a conversation with the American people about what his strategy is. Where's the press conference to say, I, I can remember moments like this where either Bill Clinton or Ronald Reagan or President Obama or even George H.W. Uh, Bush, they all come to into the podium, shut down television because I'd be mad because whatever my favorite show was, <laughs> it's not on tonight yeah. because the president is speaking. Yeah. And they take the time to articulate a vision for what they are trying to do militarily and diplomatically. And uh, he does everything via tweet. And so because he has not success, the, the, you know, he has not successfully articulated to the American people what in the world he's doing, that it makes it all that much more difficult then for people to follow and understand him, especially when all of the voices of reason are saying that what he's doing is wrong. All right, that's a TBB candidate, David Seaton in the studio no as well. Uh, thank you, uh, Donald Trump, for uh, uh, helping us out there. Uh, we're going to take a break. We'll come back. We're going to take a little deep dive in impeachment and uh, talk about uh, Democratic strategy. Should Nancy Pelosi call it to a vote, an official impeachment inquiry vote? Uh, we'll get David and Atiba's opinions on that when we return. Hey, everybody, what you're about to hear are the piano stylings of Jeff Manuel. 
and listen to Jeff go. Jeff Manuel has been playing piano around Chicago for years. He's played for conventions, for celebrities, played in basement bars with blues bands. He's played at prestigious social clubs, fine restaurants, and in the intimacy of private homes. Book Jeff Manuel at jeffemanuelpianist.com. Don't worry, I'll spell his name at the end of this commercial. You know what Chicago Magazine said? They said that Jeff Manuel is, quote, as comfortable with Chopin as he is with Cole Porter. He's excellent, and his performance is joyous. He offers an elegant stream of compositions and interpretations that entertains the mind but won't hurt the ears. To hear more of Jeff Manuel's work and to book Jeff for your next event, go to jeffmanuelpianist.com. I'm going to spell it out for you, people. J E F F M as in Mary, A N as in Nancy, U E L P I A N I S T.com. Take it away, Jeff Manuel. All right, everybody, hour number two of your Ben Jarofsky show for Wednesday, October 16th is just moments away. But before we get into that, we need to thank the following unions for sponsoring this show. First up, the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 and District 8, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150, and of course, today's show is brought to you by our good friends at the Chicago Federation of Labor, hour number two. Let's go. Wednesday, October 16th, and live from Chicago Sun-Time Studio on Racine Avenue, this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. In this hour of the program, we are talking all things last night's debate with our good friend Samina Mustafa, and hey, Atiba and David are still in the studio, we'll probably talk about with them as well. And now your host, Chicago Reader columnist, Ben Jarofsky. TV Buchanan, David Seaton in the studio. Buchanan and Seaton, Seaton and Buchanan. I don't know which which way which way are you guys going to go with this. It's technically Buchanan and Seaton, but we don't care. You we don't care. No, right. it, 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 I, I just use the excuse that he's just going in alphabetical order. Okay. All right. All right. Here we go. Uh, these guys have known each other forever. They went to grammar school together as well as junior high. high. Junior, junior high. high. Okay. Yeah. They've known each other forever. Uh, they probably can finish each other's thoughts and sentences. They've been uh, just talking politics and culture and what have you since the 90s. What we do it too, Ben. I just finished your sentence. Yes. You finished (laughs) my my sentence. sentence. You You finished it again. Okay. Look at us. We're like these guys. We're amazing. Looks like we made it. Um, Anyway, uh, we're going to go into whether the Democrats should have an official vote on impeachment. Before we do that, the young man from Alton. The guy they call a doctor has an update. Absolutely, I do. Uh, the, the Chicago Teachers Union looks like a, a strike is still looming, but the Chicago Park District workers have reached a tentative contract agreement. The following comes from the Chicago Sun-Times and one Sam Charles. Chica- uh, Chicago Park District employees have reached a tentative contract agreement averting a strike as the Chicago Teachers Union is expected to walk out Thursday. Here's the quote from uh, Employees International Union Local 73 Executive Vice President Jeffrey Howard 
we have achieved what we think is a great victory. Oh, wow. Good for them. I, I love victories. I love when everybody's happy. Right, David Seaton, uh, in a negotiation? You want everybody to be happy. To have, or, or the other alternative is everybody's a little miserable because you had a compromise. Uh, I'm going to look on the brightest of all bright sides. Uh, you know, That's rare. Yeah. <laughs> Lori's um, uh, allies and strategists have been telling me all along that uh, the Parkerstick workers uh, were more or less uh, adjuncts of the Chicago Teachers Union, and they were all kind of working together. Uh, so uh, if the fact that they cut a deal means perhaps, I hope, fingers crossed, uh, David Seaton and Atiba Buchanan, that the teachers won't be far behind them, and it's just... You know, because the with a lot of the pressure on Lori Lightfoot was that if the park district workers went out on strike, as well as the teachers, uh, the park districts would not be open for children to um, sit somewhere while they uh, their parents are working. So I'm going to look on the bright side. How about that, David? Me, Ben, Mr. Uh, glasses half. Uh, empty. Countdown is on. I give it about five minutes and we're back on the dark side. <laughs> anyway. We're right. also having a caption contest, by the way, people. An Ed Burke caption contest. The picture is posted on our uh, Facebook page at Benny J Show. B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J Show. The picture posted is one of our president, Donald John Trump, talking with 14th Ward Alderman Ed Burke. Looks like he's, you know, having a little personal conversation with him. So it's an excellent picture for you to caption. Head over to the Facebook page. Leave us your captions and tell your friends. All right, very good. All right, at T. Buchanan, I'm going to pretend uh, that you're Nancy Pelosi. Sure. Okay? And so just follow me on this. Uh, right now, uh, Nancy Pelosi announced uh, was a couple of weeks ago that there was an impeachment inquiry, uh, but there was no formal vote on that matter by the House of Representatives. She just announced it. Uh, they've also announced, they let it be known that if there were a vote, they would have the votes to adopt it officially, but they've not had that vote. Uh, Donnie Trump's response to requests and subpoenas from the congressional Democrats uh, in regards to what he knows and about whistleblower gate is that uh, he's not going to honor it uh, until the Democrats have an official vote, an official impeachment vote. Now, I believe he won't honor it anyway. He'll move the goalposts, is my humble belief, and he'll come up with another excuse for not honoring uh, and abiding by those subpoenas uh, if they do have a vote. But that said, in your humble opinion, if you were Nancy Pelosi, would you take the bait and have a formal vote in the House on an impeachment inquiry? No, not until she gets good and ready. Because she's not required to. There's nothing in the Constitution that says she has to. There is no rule within the uh, House Committee rules that indicates that she has to. So if it's not if it's not in the Constitution and it's not in any of their bylaws, then why would she have to do it? Because to your point, even if she com- uh, complies with him and does it, all that's going to do is allow him the opportunity to move the goalposts. Because we know he won't care that he just said. He'll cooperate with it if she has a vote. He will have no ambiguity about changing his opinion and still not cooperating. Right now, we're looking at the president not cooperating. We're looking at the vice president not cooperating. We're looking at the secretary of state. These are all people that have put it in writing that they're not cooperating with any part of this investigation 
there's nothing to believe. There's no reason to believe that they would ever cooperate with this investigation. So if they're not required to do it, why give why give the Republicans uh, political fodder? Because that's what they want to do is be able to take the vote and then put it out in all these individual districts and ads about who voted for the inquiry and who didn't. There's no reason to give them that. Agreed. That's exactly why they want to do it. They there are there are a handful of districts out there that are that are represented by Democrats, and they want to be able to go on those districts that's they that they can they feel like they can pick those those uh, those representatives off. So they're they're asking for this for a political reason. But that said, it I it must be really nice. <laughs> To be a, 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 a white man in America, mm-hmm. born with a silver spoon in your mouth, never having to answer to anyone for your entire life, waiting until you turn 70 years old, run for president, possibly getting impeached in your first term, and then tell the opposing side who's in charge constitutionally of whether or not to impeach you to tell them what rules they need to follow to impeach. That, that I mean, just... Just the unmitigated temerity, just the just the just the gall, <laughs> the gall of yeah. of of Trump. Even even when his when his back is against the wall, even at this point, he is still trying to assert some sort of dominance or some sort of control over a situation that he has absolutely no control. I, I'm with you 100 percent of that. We had uh, uh, April a prayer on the show uh, this weekend. And I urge everybody not now because you listen to this uh, segment, but uh, to check that out. She's a criminal uh, defense lawyer here in, in the city of Chicago, and she works with uh, a lot of poor people who are locked up at the, the, the local jail at uh, 22nd California. And uh, she has a card that says, shut up, lawyer up. I love that card. But anyway, shut up. That's her advice to anybody. Shut up, lawyer up. But we talked at length. I go, can you, can you imagine yourself treating the prosecutors and the judge and the whole system with as much contempt as Donald Trump and his cohorts and Giuliani as well have treated uh, the congressional investigators with their subpoenas? And she said, no, it's, uh, it's just staggering points out the difference uh, that you were alluding to. That said, I'm going to put this out there. I would call a vote and I'll tell you why. Uh, I understand exactly what you're saying, Atiba, that the uh, that Nancy Pelosi is concerned about some of her members uh, in swing districts or in, in in districts that went for Trump, like the the woman, uh, the congresswoman who I've talked a lot about in Michigan. Uh, uh, I believe her name is uh, Slotkin, but um, I understand that. But that said, the Republicans are going to use their propaganda anyway. They're going to, no matter what the Democrats do, the Republicans will be preaching to their base that the Democrats are unfairly going after Donald Trump. It's a witch hunt. Uh, it's, it's a hoax, et cetera, and so forth. They're going to say it anyway. So what's the benefit of the vote? Uh, the benefit of the vote is to take away a talking point, put it right out there in the open. We have a vote. We believe in this uh, investigation. Well, let's uh, not forget about the the far more important thing. We, I think we're arguing about procedural yes. procedural things, yes. and that's not how Trump has has maintained his whatever 
support that he has. He's he's maintained the support that he has because of the psychology, because of the the perception that he is in. I mean, he's a poster child for the Dunning-Kruger effect, but but the fact that he's able to to show or at least give a perception to his followers that he's in charge and that he knows what he's doing, that's why some people will continue to follow him, and the, the Democrats will give up the psychological advantage of, no, we're in charge of this. You are you're not in charge. You are the subject of of the of this procedure. We make the rules. The Constitution says the House makes the rules. We're the ones who vote. You don't get to tell us under what parameters we are going to invoke our constitutionally protected mandated authority. Get somewhere and shut up and we'll let you know when we when we want to talk to you. You know what? I got to say something. I think David Seaton's right. <laughs> you just convinced me, David Seaton. Where's Neil Muhammad? Neil, he's right on that one. <laughs> Actually, I think Neil may agree with you on that point. But uh, no, you, you, it's a that's a very good point. I hadn't thought about that. Uh, in other words, it's it's a battle of wills. You know, we're, we're not going to let you tell us how to run our investigation, son. We're telling you to abide by our subpoenas, uh, and if you don't want to abide by them, senior court, and it's ultimately going to come to the Supreme Court. And they have to, and they have to do that. They have to reinforce the fact that they are a co-equal, co-equal branch of government. Um, so it's not his show, and he and he just routinely does not understand that, and that's going to be one of, I think his biggest failing. Um, that's where that's how he got to where he is now. I was telling David, it's like, I never understand. If, if I'm going to follow someone that's corrupt, I'm, that I know is corrupt, like a Donald Trump, I would at least follow somebody that's corrupt and I know is smart. I've never seen people follow someone that is corrupt and dumb. And he's just, he's not a smart person. <laughs> it's a twofer. Right. Because <laughs> like I, even this whole situation with Ukraine, he, he's not smart enough to know that that was illegal. What he's when, when he's trying to do the quid pro quo, all he's thinking that's well within the bounds of the presidency. Yeah. What do you mean? And so when so when he does that, because and nobody knows he's going to do it, everybody is reacting like, oh my God, we have to hide this call, we have to do this and do that, and he's sitting there going, what? Yeah. What ha- What are you talking about? I, I, you mean I can't do that? Why not? And, he, and that's that's that is a microcosm of what his entire presidency is. It was been a like. perfect call, right? Yeah, he really believes that. So again, he's someone that is not only corrupt, but he's dumb. Uh, most corrupt people are usually really intelligent, and they're trying. You know, uh, Bernie Madoff was a smart guy. He finally, you know, even he got caught. He but overreached, he, right? He overreached. But Trump isn't. He's just he's corrupt and dumb. So <laughs> well, and I just don't understand people. I don't understand how the people that support him continue to do so because they all know better. Dumb and ignorant. Uh, right. That that's I mean that's that's something willfully was, ig- gleefully ignorant. Right, me, I mean he's I mean he's literally in he has literally tweeted and said. They're trying to impeach me, so I'm going to, we should impeach Nancy Pelosi and Adams. You can't impeach a member of Congress. A member of Congress can be removed if you get a vote of 66% 66 or 75% in the chamber to which they belong. They can be removed. But you can't impeach someone in 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 the legislative branch. The fact that he doesn't, he's ignorant of that fact. Right. He's dumb his dumbness is compounded by his ignorance yeah. and and that's the and that's the scary thing that 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 he 
he thinks he knows more than he does because he knows so little. Yeah. And that's what the Dunning-Kruger effect is. And that's when dumb people think they're smart because they don't know what they don't know. Yeah. <laughs> and that's 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 what, that's who we have leading the free world. And Atiba and I were talking about this earlier. I don't know what's scarier. The the fact that that white privilege exists to the point that it catapulted him into the presidency that that he is so willfully ignorant and dumb and that he and that he just viscerally responds as president or if I should be more angry at the people out there who are dumb and ignorant themselves who voted him into office and continue to support him in the face of incontrovertible evidence well, let's of talk his about malfeasance. That for a moment. Uh, this, uh, I, last week I was uh, uh, going on and on about the, the Congresswoman uh, Slotkin from uh, South Southern Michigan, the, the New York Times, uh, did a story about her or a daily podcast episode about her. And just to remind folks, uh, she is the centrist, very much a centrist, had worked for the CIA uh, before she went into politics. A centrist Democrat who uh, took ran in a district that went for Trump in 2016, and she was victorious uh, in the 2018 election. So she's a rookie. Uh, she has signed on, and, and she wrote an essay in the Washington Post, or she was one of several writers of an essay saying she supports uh, an, inc- an impeachment inquiry. So there was no formal vote, but she went on record as saying uh, that she supports it. So it, it amounts to a voting yes. Uh, so she's wide open for the counterattack to Tiba that you were talking about. She went back to her home district last week or a couple of weeks ago to have some town hall meetings during the break. And she was confronted at one meeting by a room of filled with a lot of Trump supporters. And one man stood up and they had his quotes and it was, it was just a moment of alarm to me where the man called it a coup against our president that's um those are his words a coup against our president uh said there was no evidence that he could see whatsoever to warrant it it was he took all the trump talking points witch hunt etc and i had many reactions but one getting to the point that david was talking about is like donald trump is relatively new on the political scene. He only ran for one office. He ran for right. president once and won. Unbelievable. And yet he has this loyalty. I mean, I think of Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan was governor of California yeah. for two terms. Uh, he was a pitch man on TV after that and uh, would go around championing all his conservative views. He ran for president in 76. So in other words, Do- uh, Ronald Reagan had 14 years at least uh Well, if you go back to the 64 Republican convention, uh, 16 years where he was preaching his uh, right wing uh, ideology to the people and winning people over. Donald Trump has been on the national scene politically for a year and he already has this devotion. What is that all about? That devotion that people have to this guy. It's not like they have a history with them. I can't figure it out because he is so not everything he purports to be. So, for instance, he says he's patriotic. But there's substantive evidence to show that he is not. Uh, all you got to do is look at his bone spurs. This is a guy that refused to serve when called. Uh, this is a, this is a guy that has had that has had every opportunity to own businesses and make things in the United States, and he never does. So, like, where is all this patriotism coming from? He claims to be an evangelical. The Bible is his favorite book. Okay, this is a guy that went to what was it, Liberty University, uh, and said it was right here in two Corinthians. Like that right there is telling you he's never picked up a Bible in his life and he has he has no idea even what's in the book. <laughs> yeah. So, again, he's he's not he's not an evangelical. 
Um, and you can just look at his behavior. I mean, this is, again, the guy that, that was having sex with porn stars while, you know, while his wife was pregnant. Yeah. Um, so again, I'm, I'm trying to figure he's out. He's not what, a virtuous man. He's not a virtuous man. He's he's not a patriotic man. He's not he's not economically smart because this is a guy that's had six bankruptcies. So everything that he purports to be, he he clearly isn't. So where where all of this comes from uh, uh, is beyond me. They had a guy re- at his most recent rally where he spewed all that vitriolic stuff the last week, and one of the supporters was asked. Um, about his, his loyalty, and he said Donald Trump could literally grow horns, and we would vote for him. Mm. And you know, the interesting wow. thing is, is that any of those things that Atiba just brought up, and there, and there are a lot more, but any of those things individually are bad. But, but here's the sad, here's the sad truth. I, I, I'm just going to just say it: white privilege is such in this country that I think that most. Most lower middle class uh, or, or people who we would call on the, in the, on the lower class socioeconomically, they look at Trump and he's the guy they wish they were. They wish that they were the guy who owned the casinos and had their name on the side of a plane and and had a and had a helicopter and had gold these toilets, gold toilets in these beautiful Eastern European. I mean, I read I read something the other day. Uh, I was I was watching some video that was talking about Donald Trump. And this is this is what a lot of when you most black people think. Uh, or, and, I, and I don't want to say, and I don't want to like make, make a blanket statement, but most black people, when they see somebody rich or they see somebody with an obscene amount of money, their visceral reaction is, "What did they do to get that?" Most white people see a white person who's rich, and they the first thing they viscerally think is, "He must be doing something right. He must be pretty smart that he's got yeah. all that money." And that's what white people. And again, those white people that you're talking about, that white guy who said, the "White guy," you said, if he grew horns, and the white guy, the white guy you're talking about, they look at Donald Trump and say, "He, he must be pretty smart. Yeah. He must he must be doing something right. And, and I wish right. I could be him." And I agree with you, which which really baffles me when I hear Republicans then criticize Hunter Biden the way that they do for them to go back and say, hey, how this white guy get a job he wasn't qualified for and make all this money? Yeah. And we're like the fi- wait, the fifty thousand dollars a month. month. Right. Which, again, that again, even even floors me. They're just so aghast that the son of a vice president made fifty thousand dollars a month. Are you serious? Yeah. Fifty thousand dollars a month is nothing. Yeah. That's a drop in the bucket to, to, to compare it to uh, uh, who was it? Uh, it was either a uh, Lindsey Graham. I mean, it was either Lindsey Graham or if it, or it was a uh, 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 Rand Paul. It was like, well, if you go back and you ask somebody in my district, that was who Jim Jordan. Yeah, it might have been Jim Jordan. Somebody in my district who doesn't make fifty thousand dollars a year. OK, the guy in your district isn't the son like white people. Again, they're they're selectively biased and oblivious when it fits their argument. Everybody knows in this world, if your son said. <laughs> Hey, Dad, you know what? I really think I want to go yeah. on the radio. Guess who'd be a guest star at least one hour a week yeah, at the yeah, Ben Jarofsky yeah, show? Yeah, my son. Ben Jarofsky hey. Jr. That's not a big surprise. Benny that- J. Jr. <laughs> yeah, we, there is no Benny J. Jr., but point well taken. Yeah, we had Liz Cheney this week talking about nepotism. Yeah, Donald Rand, Trump Jr. talking Rand about Paul, nepotism. Donald Trump Jr., uh, Abby Huntsman. These are all people who Megan, are sons and daughters Megan, of uh, Megan uh, uh, McCain. Right. Yeah. Talking about, about nepotism. Nep- Megan right. McCain. Yeah. Yeah. No, I hear you. About. By the way, D, what's the name of the comedian? I think he's really funny. We, we were listening on the Joe Rogan show yesterday. 
Oh, Tim Dillon. Tim Dillon, man. I don't know if you know who Tim Dillon is. Uh, he's a comedian, and he was saying a lot of the same things you were saying, David Seaton, on the Joe Rogan show the other day uh, about why people like Donald Trump, his style, and, and uh, how he flashes and flaunts it. Tim Dillon on the Joe Rogan show. Yeah. All right. Uh, Samina Mustafa's in the studio. We're going to bring her on to talk about the debate. She's all ready to go. She's got to educate us about Medicare for all and the different uh, positions that the candidates have taken. But I cannot allow... Atiba and David will leave this studio without getting their thoughts on what I, I, I call it a lot of different things. Now I'm calling it LeBron Gate and LeBron James. I'm just going to put this out here right now. I'm a, I'm a Bulls fan. Okay. I just put it out there. So I got a bit of a bias against LeBron James. All right. That's got nothing to do with politics or anything else. I'm a Bulls fan. That said, wow. Um, the fallout over one tweet that uh, Houston Rockets general manager made about two weeks ago, the power of Twitter, Hunt, uh, Atiba. Absolutely. Uh, uh, and about uh, supporting the protesters in Hong Kong. And the, the fallout just continues to this day because Donald Trump sees this as an opportunity to counterattack the NBA and uh, uh, liberal Democrats, et cetera, and so forth. But what's your just kind of agenda? I'd love to get your, uh, the two of you your thoughts, the most general way yeah. about how this is playing out. Yeah, first of all, you know, I don't think LeBron said anything incredibly offensive. Um, I think that the most, the saddest part about his statements is that it has taken then the attention away from what from what really caused all of this in the first place, which is the tweet by Daryl Morey. Um, which again, I understand where he was coming from, but it, it was a short-sighted tweet when you, when you look at who he is, what his position is, where the league is, and the relationship that they're trying to maintain. Um, every place isn't America. Every place doesn't honor freedom of speech. And America does it barely. <laughs> like we, we don't want to do it. Uh, we just, we, you know, it's in our, it, it's in our DNA. So we kind of have to, cause we kind of said that's, you know, it's the first amendment, but we don't even honor it, let alone a communist country like China. So they're going to, they're going to be able to say, stay in your lane. And if you want to have a business relationship with China, especially while we're in the midst of a trade war with them, you might want to be a little more cautious about the things you tweet about what's going on in China. With that said, um, again, LeBron didn't attack the substance. He was just simply saying that it, it probably wasn't the wisest tweet to send out. And he, uh, if I were him, I probably wouldn't have even bothered to comment on it at all because nothing he was going to say was going to change the effect, was going to change what happened for the better, or for all, all it could do was make it worse. Mm -hmm. There was nothing he could say that could improve the situation because the situation is so much bigger than anything he has to say. So it's not about LeBron James. This is about an, uh, an NBA league who has to figure out uh, if, if they're going to really be about human rights or just be about human rights when they don't have anything at risk. And it, when, they, when they're talking about black people getting shot in America, there's no risk because most of the people that watch the NBA are black. But when you're talking about China, there is a risk there. And are you going to stand on those same principles? And they have, and they have to figure that out as an organization. That's well put. I, I, I'm, I'm torn uh, about my opinion uh, fundamentally. I, I agree with uh, trying to pick sides. Either you're going to be in, in, in either you're going to support human rights or you're not. Mm -hmm. I, it is amazing to me how 
the how you know they they used to call our society the microwave society we want everything right now mm-hmm. you know and that has that 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 translated into food and then it translated into it started to become so ubiquitous or it has become so ubiquitous to the point that twitter a 160 character <laughs> digital statement mm-hmm. by someone that a 160 character statement can uh, can impact the planet yeah. shows the dumbing down of uh, or, or the dumbing down that we as the United States have exported to the rest of the world who cares what 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 LeBron James thinks about I remember I remember Atiba and I uh, we used to, we talked about this when when Donald Trump first got elected or and, and he, but it was before he was inaugurated but after he was elected and Steve Harvey went and met with him at Trump Tower and you had a lot of you know the, the black community was kind of split you had half of people saying well that's good if he can use his his position to you know have a conversation with Donald Trump but then there were others the others of us who were saying dude you're a comedian that's what you do. You don't you don't you have you don't have anything to talk to about Donald Trump about what's going to impact the macro, mm-hmm. you know, black community and on top of that even if you did, he didn't invite you for that reason. He invited you because you're a famous black person yeah. and so he wanted to be seen, you know, get that 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 uh picture with you or whatever. So my, my point by ultimately my point is we really need to it, it's unfortunate that's oftentimes today that the messenger is more important than the message. You could, you we we could sit here right now and come up with the cure to cancer, and somebody won't take it because it's from us. Yeah, you know. So again, I don't care what what LeBron James has to say, and and I don't even care about people saying, oh, he said that he's messing up this four billion dollar deal for the NBA because again, that's all about money. They, the NBA knew what was going on in Hong Kong when they were putting together this four billion dollar deal. So don't hang it on LeBron James. Yeah when the NBA made the business decision because there's 1.5 billion customers over there. Yeah, no, you're right. The NBA, the people who run the NBA knew it. I'm not sure LeBron James knew it. By the way, I'm, I, I I agree with most of what you said. I'm just going to argue with you as we leave, uh, as I let you leave on the 50-50 on Steve Harvey. 50% black people were for, uh, th- thought he was doing the right thing. 50%, uh-uh, no way. No way, okay? At best, it was 5% for Steve Harvey. 95% were saying, what the hell are you doing? And you know I'm right there, I David was being C. generous. You were being, being very being generous. generous. <laughs> Candace C was nodding her head along with me. Not 50% agree with it. 50%. Now next thing you're going to tell me 50% agree with Kanye when he went in the White House and talked that nonsense. No, negative 7% negative. of black people will agree. All right. No, no, no. You can't, he had a great turnout at that, at, what was that, Howard? With his uh, his Sunday sermon or whatever that was called. Yeah, no, he did have a big turnout, but he did. You know, Kanye I mean, if you West get, it, wait, time out. If you the get worst. the one one percent of, of of black voters voted for Donald Trump, one percent of black voters—that's a lot of people. Yeah, think about that. Yeah, okay, it's a lot of people for a like a turnout at Howard, but it's right. consequ- I mean, in the total scheme of things, right. it's a thimble of water. Unfortunately, uh, all you got to do is say God, and a lot of people will show up. Regardless yes. of who you are. All right. Uh, before we let you go, tell folks one more time where they can hear your show and where you're going to be, uh, your WVON uh, show. Go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. So we're going to be on WVON this Friday and next Friday from 9 p.m. until midnight. Uh, they gave us the late shift, but we appreciate it. And um, we'll see. We'll probably have some upcoming Friday appearances from that. Otherwise, our podcast airs Saturday, intellectualradio.com, 1 o'clock. All right. Very good. Hold on. I'm going to call uh, VON right now. Hey. <laughs> 
hire a team in David, all right? I just cut the deal for you <laughs> there guys. There it is. All right, a TV Buchanan, Buchanan and Seton show. A Buchanan and Seton show. Uh, very good. Uh, we have uh, Samina Mustafa and Candace Castillo on deck. We're going to bring them on to talk about last night's debate when we return. It's the butter cow, which has nine hearts to represent the nine essential nutrients in milk. That's right. It's made entirely out of butter. And, it, you know, it's a state fair tradition since at least 1922. Attention Chicago innovators and creators, 2019 Chicago Ideas Week is coming soon. October 12th through the 17th, this annual Ideas Festival is back, and it's the largest, most affordable Ideas Festival of its kind. They bring in hundreds of thought leaders from around the globe and some local to share ideas and spark action all across Chicago. To get a better idea of what to expect, here's a bit of audio from last year's Chicago Ideas Week with special guest and Chicago comedian Cameron Esposito. Everything that I have ever tried to do has had two motivations. One is I really do believe in trying to create social change. And then the other one is I'm scared and alone too. So I would like for you to join me. You know, every job that I have, I try to make sure to hold the door open. That's like my uh, motto for, for, um, like if I get through, you're coming with me. And I really, I believe in that wholeheartedly. And, uh, especially if I have more privilege than you, like I'm holding the door open for you, um, even wider. October 12th to the 17th, it's 2019 Chicago Ideas Week. Tickets go on sale to members on August 22nd and to general public September 10th. Once again, if you're an innovator or creator in the city of Chicago or even outside the city, you must join us for Chicago Ideas Week, October 12th through the 17th. For tickets and event information, head to chicagoideas.com. That's chicagoideas.com. And we hope to see you October 12th through the 17th for 2019 Chicago Ideas Week. Today's Ben Jaromsky Show was brought to you in part by Chicago Architecture Center. Get to know your city on one of Chicago Architecture Center's 65 walking tours. Hear the unforgettable secrets and stories behind Chicago architecture from our expert docents. Book your tour at architecture.org slash tours. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm actually on a tour right now. Oh, wow. Look at that building. Get a special discount for Illinois residents from July 15th to August 15th. All Illinois residents get 50% off select walking tours. Visit architecture.org slash IL dash resident. Today's Ben Jarofsky show is brought to you in part by Green Element Resale. They're located at 6241 North Broadway in Chicago. And people, it's the best thrift store I've ever been to in my life. And it's not just because they're sponsors. It's because it's a fantastic thrift store. Mainly because I like board games. Do you like board games? Well, listen to these board games that I see right now at GreenElementResale.com. Scategories. We got Scategories, everybody. Who likes Scategories? Well, the question is, who doesn't like Scategories? It's a fantastic game. You better get to Green Element Resale right now to get Scategories. We got Balderdash. That's there. Big list of games here that I'm looking at at GreenElementResale.com. There's a Friends board game. Friends trivia, perhaps? I don't know. And Ben, your most favorite board game is here. I can see it right now. Let me <laughs> let me just get a closer look here. Hold on. Yep, it's true. It's an Andy Griffith board game. 
Oh, wow. I know. Yeah, I love Andy Griffith. I know you do. We'll go to Green Element Resale as soon as the show's over. It's Green Element Resale. You can find more information at greenelementresale.com. They are open uh, Monday through Sunday, every single day. So go check them out. Green Element Resale. They have more than board games. It's a thrift shop. It's amazing. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Candice Castillo, Samina Mustafa in the studio. Uh, I promised everybody we're going to be talking debate, 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 but... They come in, uh, Castillo's wearing a button that's basically on the teacher side and the teacher's strike, and uh, Samina's weighing in with her. So let's just get some local stuff out. I mean, I got two very opinionated, smart people in, in the studio. Might as well take advantage of it. Uh, all right, let's first of all, Castillo, uh, Candace, uh, you are an aide to Jeanette Taylor, uh, 20th Ward Alderman, who's supposed to be here on Friday, I want to say. At 2.30. Oh, man, we are way. People love her when she comes on this show, and uh, so I'm looking forward to that. But uh, just give us an update of what went down on the Chicago City Council today on the cannabis front. You you came in and you said there was breaking news on the cannabis front. So cannabis, the zoning for cannabis did pass. However, the zoning, the exclusionary zone downtown is much, much, much smaller. But shout out to the Black Caucus who um, was fighting back on this cannabis issue, not because they have an issue with cannabis, but because black and brown people have been objectified by the underground cannabis industry for years and years and years. And it looks like it'll be harder for them to get in on the legal cannabis industry. And because those people who hold, uh, who already can distribute medical marijuana are the first people who can apply Mm. for those dispensaries which locks out a lot of black and brown people and people who are from the communities that uh were most affected by the drug laws and things of that nature so it's still a lot to watch on that front um but the ordinance did pass um so we'll see what happens. All right, very good. Are you, are you happy with the ordinance, Samina? I'm concerned about that specifically, that it is shutting out folks who have been really uh, marginalized and punished for, uh, you know, in the criminal justice system or criminal legal system. I don't even call it justice system anymore. So it's sort of like I think everyone was concerned about the legalization but not addressing this issue about equity. And so it's, I'm a little concerned that it's not doing that. Um, so that's, and that's unfortunate. I mean, that's really, that's what I think everyone was afraid of. I mean, I, when I would talk to folks about legalization of marijuana, I, I would run into, let's just say they look more like Dennis than they look like me and Candace. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, let's have, you know, legal marijuana. I'm like, well, to me, it's not even about the recreational side. It's the, um, the expungements and the equity piece. And so. Well, that will always be the last thing that they consider when they. Uh, Sorry, Dennis. Uh, <laughs> well, I was going to say what they wear hats. <laughs> uh, Are they the fastest person in analysis? Yes, that's right. <laughs> Very good. Uh, all right, um, and uh, also, uh, Candace is wearing a, a button that's on the. Uh, to teach, what's the button say? I can't see. Fair contract now. That's correct. That's like you, Robert Mueller. Uh, and I've not, I don't think I've ever had a conversation with you, Samina, about the the teachers and their negotiations. Your thoughts? Uh, I I went to CPS. I actually lived through a strike, um, and and I, I when I was a kid, and uh, but after the strikes, we got fewer and fewer resources. So I've lived through a sort of under under resource 
Chicago Public School on the north side. Mm-hmm. So I've lived through uh, them not spending money on books, on equipment, on, and we never had, a, I think we had, we didn't have a, a nurse, we didn't have a social, I mean, like all these things that people are talking about, these are things that are needed. Yeah. So, I mean, I have an opinion as a former CPS student. Mm-hmm. Well, I will say this before we move on to the national news. Uh, I welcome the fact that Mayor Lori Lightfoot gave uh, a press conference today at eight in the morning when I was sleeping. Uh, that's not the part I welcome. The part I welcome <laughs> is that she said, of course, I'm with the union on the need for more nurses. Of course, I'm with the union on the need for more librarians. Of course, I'm with the union for the need for counselors. I just want to point out to everybody out there uh, that the of course part of being on the side of the union came after how many weeks of negotiations, how many weeks of threat of strike, how many weeks of uh, Stacey Davis Gates uh, and Jesse Sharkey forcefully calling out Mayor Lori Lightfoot. So it's not as though the city, the people who run this city on their own just woke up one day in April when Lori Lightfoot was elected mayor and said, we're going to put nurses and teach and uh, social workers and counselors in the public schools. They were dragged to that point. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And I go, oh, Ben, come on. At least she's there now. But, you know, all along, everybody else was saying, teachers, don't ask for it. Don't demand it. Take the money. Shut up. Go away. And finally, but because they didn't do that and we're now at this point go ahead but it's it's more than that so uh mayor lightfoot has been saying oh yeah i agree i agree i agree i just refuse to put it in writing no 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 mayor lightfoot's a lawyer she's trained as a lawyer she knows if it's not in writing then it doesn't exist and me as a current cps parent i want to see it in writing then you have the seiu members that people aren't even talking about the people that are with the uh autistic kids and the emotional emotional development uh kids the seekers the seekers are asking for professional development the seekers are asking for training they don't want to put that in a contract period people are saying the the raise for the teachers yeah they want to give them a raise and add into their health insurance and double their pension obligation we cannot keep saying oh yeah we support our teachers we love our teachers we're there for our school employees and we have bus a sleeping in cars cut it give us as parents and students that are mostly black and brown on south and west side and the north side give us what we need to be successful and stop slowly but surely pushing us out of the city because if you want to give lincoln yards over a billion dollars then you need to give our kids over a billion dollars to invest in the schools so yes i support this strike and Jaden and i will be on a picket line tomorrow morning all right uh and uh, by the way samina just before I one final break from this, uh, I just want to remind everybody, I met Samina when she was running for Congress in the 5th Congressional District, and I always would ask her when she would come on my show when she was a candidate, are you going to be the kind of congressman that just goes to Washington and ignores Chicago? She could no, Ben, no, I'm going to pay attention to it. I haven't heard one Congress, maybe I missed something, weigh in whatsoever. <laughs> you got Bernie Sanders coming to town saying he's with the teachers. Yeah. You got Elizabeth Warren nope. coming to, wait, hold on, there they are. 
are under the table. <laughs> Unbelievable. Nothing ever changes in this town, Samina Mustafa. Yeah, so it's funny. Um, I think you, I don't know if you shared this or someone shared this. I'm going to share this with you, Ben. This is a, a like a flyer that uh, Lightfoot's team put out with like endorsements of, speaking of Congress, Robin Kelly and David Orr, with all her list of things that she was going to promise. And if we went through each one of them, we'd find that she's either walked back her promise uh, or uh, she's, you know, she's going, she's gone MIA, like elected school board, um, you know, ending the gang database, all of these things, you know. <laughs> um, so, yeah, they're they're all silent because they they don't want to you know get her crosshairs because in their minds, she has a mandate, even though only less than 30 percent of the, the well, city actually a- like came out to, to vote. But that is a perfect segue (laughs) to the debates because you got a lot of people um, who are going to say a and then they and then you just say, okay, what are you actually going to do? I'm going to I'm going to go straight to Mayo Pete, Mayor Pete. Okay, Uh, black Twitter calls him Mayo Pete for a reason. Um, (laughs) Last debate. And it's funny. I didn't notice this until I was doing my sort of like prep and looking at the Twitter machine, um, somebody said, oh, at the last debate, uh, Pete Buttigieg was saying that there was too much sort of rancor and, you know, we need to kind of uh, be, have more civility. And then Julian Castro said, well, guess what? Welcome to what a primary is like. Yes. And guess who was Mr. You know, right. You know, he was like, he, I felt like he was like a, he was like a cat just like clawing at whoever he could claw at, you know, and, and mostly it was Elizabeth Warren. And I was like, what, what's happening? You just totally are, someone told you, someone told you, this is your moment. You got to like go uh, on the uh, offensive, kind of like a Tulsi Gabbard, Mm -hmm. who, if you notice, if you caught that moment, she went, she got finished her thing and she could tell she was trying to pounce on Elizabeth Warren and then they cut her off. (laughs) And I was like, yes. She had on white after Labor Day. Uh, Wait, <laughs> that is the biggest cry. <laughs> Go ahead, Kim. I'm just saying, I I find Tulsi Gabbard interestingly repulsive. She had on white after Labor Day, and after that, oh, I heard nothing she said. Okay, yeah. She said. Yeah. Um, what she was saying about Syria made me really upset. There's no way that troop withdrawal that way is the right thing for us to do. It is the resurgence of ISIS. And on top of that, Russia is now working with them, but it's we got to get our troops out, really? It, it doesn't make any sense. Tulsi Gabbard makes no sense. However, she still made the stage. Yeah, she made the stage. She has uh, uh, Samina. Well, no, is there actually uh, have we had the Tulsi Gabbard conversation in a while? It's I think it may have been the old show. We took a deep dive on Tulsi Gabbard. Yeah, and I know that you've talked to Ramana Hussein. Ramana Hussein has talked about yeah, Sun Times editor. Yeah, so yeah. Mm-hmm. and and we just were both uh, Indian and Muslim and have an opinion about her Islamophobia and her association with Narendra Modi, who uh, famously um, oversaw a massacre of Muslims in the state of Gujarat when he was the governor. I know this is like way No, but and just explain that. Uh, but basically, okay, here's the Prime thing. Minister of India. Uh, it really, he's a prime minister of India. He's, he has um, a long history of Islamophobia, namely that those Gujarat riots, and uh, has essentially put martial law into Kashmir, which is, uh, you know, has a mm-hmm. large Muslim minority. And you just, if you look at, you just follow the money. It's like the... <laughs> All the president's men. I mean, look at where the supporters of 
you know, of Tulsi Gabbard, Raja Krishnamurthy, there's a couple of other members of Congress, they get a lot of money from folks who are supporters. They might be Democrats in the United States, but they're supporters of the, the BJP, which is the conservative party in India, which is unfortunately in control. So that's where that that was sort of where I first kind of had my like suspicions about Tulsi. She's done some good things. I mean, she's not 100 percent. I think for some folks, which I what I don't understand is she's so um, there's a lot of people who sort of reflex, reflexively defend her because she broke from the DNC and then endorsed Bernie. Mm-hmm. But it's like, OK, but everything else about her, she kept saying regime change in a very robotic way. Mm-hmm. And it was almost like. Like, who, did somebody like wind you up and say, like, hey, regime change, regime change? But if you look at her record, she's not anti war. She's like, she's very selective about when she decides she's anti war. When yep. it comes to anyone who's Muslim or like that, she's just like, oh, let's, you know, she wouldn't even let Syrian refugees come here. So, but let me be also be clear these were folks who Buttigieg and Gabbard were doing this to try to, to use, uh, Buttigieg's words, get into a fight to stay relevant. I mean, he literally called Bedouin for that. That's what he did. So even though I really like the way he called Beto out. Uh, wait, how about you're talking about Mayor Pete calling Mayor, uh, Beto out on the guns? On the guns. Because, let's be clear, walking up to people and taking their AR-15s does not sound like a good idea. In some dream state where I am Mr. T, maybe, or Rambo, <laughs> maybe I can walk up to somebody with the AR-15 and say, give it here, and walk away with my gold chains with music playing in the background. Okay, somebody, like, somebody Somebody in the Ben Jarowski universe has to make a meme <laughs> of of Candace as Rambo. I just we it has to or Mr. T or to uh, Mr. T. I'll pity the fool. I'll even be MacGyver, right? Yeah. But those are the people. If I have a blue ink pen and I'm MacGyver, I can disarm somebody with an AR-15 and feel safe. It didn't make sense. And Mayor Pete called them out for it. Somebody needed to. All call right, now and I'm going to pick up on this and I'm going to throw it to you at Samina. Uh, regardless of what you think about Tulsi and regardless of what you think about Mayor Pete uh, and regardless of what you think about Beto, <laughs> uh, and I have mixed opinions about all three of those, I do appreciate the fact that they challenged other people. But part of the problem is there's so many people on stage, it's hard to keep track. But when Mayor Pete, as Candace points out, went after Beto on his rhetoric about taking guns but he's not really going to taking guns it exposed just sort of like a problem there with the just the whole notion of how do we deal with all the weapons right. we have in this country are we literally going to get serious about taking them back or are we just going to uh talk about our need to cut back on weaponry in this country uh oh boy biden in a passing way made reference to the fact that if we just changed uh the law so that you could sue the gun manufacturers for liability uh whenever there's a shooting that would have a huge impact i agree with that point yes but that was like a meaningful moment in the debate i agree with you when uh uh countered a uh, um a better rock and i also think it was a very meaningful debate when Buttigieg went after tulsi on her position on the middle east and tulsi had been putting the democrats on the defensive i think by talking about regime change so i actually thought there was like moments of real, uh, like those were real moments in my opinion. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, uh, on those substantive uh, discussions, uh, 
yes, those are important to have. I, I, I wish there was more. I know that there are some candidates who didn't have to answer on that foreign policy um, point. And uh, like Elizabeth Warren is one that I actually would have liked to hear more from her on this. Um, Cause I know that's where, if I have to think of where is there sort of uh, daylight between her and Bernie Sanders, it's on this issue. Oh, so, um, uh, so I mean, I guess uh, you know, those were good to a point, but again, I feel like with 12 people, you're still gonna get a little bit of, you know, theater and drama and chaos. I will say though, in terms of like who won the debate, um, I gotta say, I gotta hand it to Sanders. I mean, he really kind of like he was sort of had didn't hadn't distinguished himself in the first three debates. He sort of held his own. He was fine, but um, this was a moment where he had to really show that he wasn't um, like he's. I think he coughed early on, and I was like, oh no, <laughs> don't, <laughs> don't cough. do that again. <laughs> but I mean, like, and I haven't picked a candidate, but I have to say that like he. Um, he came off more uh, with a lot more warmth and humor. Like at some point, mm-hmm. Biden was mm-hmm. pointing at him. He's like, "Don't point at me, like I'm, I'm Putin." Like yeah. that was funny. Yeah. And um, and actually, he and Warren both had their moments of like showing humor, which I think for policy wonks, they have a tendency to just like, "I got a plan," or "I'm gonna, you know, uh, you know, break up big tech," or whatever, whatever they're talking about. So I think both of them showed some of that. Biden again showed. <laughs> to me, again, why he's not ready to be up there and he's not going to be ready for Trump. Okay, so I've been <laughs> on here a couple of times talking about the presidentials. I'll say Elizabeth Warren made me love her petty last night when she literally said, I thank President Obama after Biden said, I was on the floor getting signatures for you. Like yeah. I was doing this. And she was like, right. I think I thank President Obama. You were good at your job. Thank you. I mean, she showed how petty she was. And honestly, I'm like, that amount of petty will work on a debate stage with Trump. Yeah. It, it just will. Um Surprisingly enough, because I want her to break out so bad, I think Klobuchar actually had a decent night. Now, was this a breakout night? I don't know. But she definitely differentiated herself from Warren, Bernie, and Biden. She definitely said, I love you, Elizabeth, but your plan isn't the only plan. And it needed to be said. Mm -hmm. Um, I actually think... One of my friends on Facebook said Cory Booker was trying so bad to have yeah. a moment. Yeah. And I agree with that. Did he say yeah. some substantive issues? Yes. But will he break out from that? Yeah. I cool. am not yeah. sure. The mo- the biggest moment I think he had was um, I support a woman's right to choose because I have a body. Not because I have a mother, I have a daughter, just because I have a body. I like that sound bite. How far does that sound bite get you? I don't know. I totally agree with Samina. It's too many people on the stage. Well, I mean, here's the reality on that point. Uh, the Democratic Party is still feeling the effects of the 2016 fight between Bernie Sanders people and Hillary Clinton, uh, Clinton people. Was obviously the, the party was tilted in favor of Hillary. We all know that. Yeah. Okay? Uh, even uh, Hillary Clinton people have to acknowledge that whether they do or not. So now they're trying to bend over backwards and be fair. Uh, and in doing so, the threshold to get on the debate is so low. 12 people qualify. Tom Steyer. 
qualified. Now, I like some of the things that Tom Steyer said last night uh, when he came out strong. Yeah, I'm for impeachment. I was for impeachment. I liked it when he said that. He, but that was speaking to me as my inner Democrat. I was like, yeah, that's my guy for saying that. But it's ridiculous that at this late stage that Tom Steyer suddenly shows up like a character in a play. Who's that guy? You know, so uh, I, I, I think that's just the reality, Candace. The, that's the leftover from the 2016 debacle. Yeah, and I think you're you're having some of that debate on the stage, right? There's a there's really the Sanders agenda and the sort of centrist, um, moderate, whatever you want to call it, agenda that was is represented by Buttigieg and, and really the kind of everybody else on yeah. the stage besides Warren. Um, so I mean, you're having that debate on stage. And one of the things that you and I talked about before we got on air was the fact that again, the first you know. 10, 15 minutes is literally um, some obsession with Medicare for all. Like, is they, they make it sound like Medi- if someone who supports Medicare for all is like wants to like it's it's like Jonathan Swift a modest proposal. It's no, we're not. This is we're not suggesting. It's not like that woman who trolled AOC and said we want to eat babies. It is giving health care to everyone. Why are you making that the worst possible stance? And um, and it, it just totally insincere, especially from, you know, major media outlets like CNN who make millions of dollars from drug companies, insurance companies, hospital systems in terms of advertising Mm -hmm. dollars. They have no incentive to give a Medicare for all platform. Well, I just want to say I totally agree with that. And I don't remember whose show I was watching this morning that the uh, Buddha judge was on. And he's like, yeah, almost everybody on the stage is for Medicare for all. It's just how to get to it. And Julian Castro said in a tweet after the debate, we spent 20 minutes talking about this and still had no real conversation about a litany of things, including foreign policy. And I totally agree with it, but we didn't talk about the biggest news from last night, which was a Willie Wilson for Senate commercial. I missed that because I was watching it on streaming. So I'm, yeah, I'm, I missed that. I, I feel I feel oh, you haven't no, seen well, it? No, I, I haven't. I, I missed them because I'm like... Uh, uh, Samina, I don't have. Well, I don't know. I can't. I don't. I don't have cable, so I'm watching on on, on this phone. Okay. Willie Wilson. <laughs> I saw Candace Will, post that. She was yes. like, "What the heck? Uh, Willie Wilson Willie running is for? running against Dick Durbin, apparently, yeah. as an independent." I, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's a whole other story. Yeah, okay. Uh, but yeah. Now it explains why I got that email from Juliana Stratton. Uh, supporting Dick Durbin. I'm on his mailing list, yeah. and, and I got uh, a big endorsement. That's probably that explains that. All right, that's that's a whole other story. But let, let's let's get back to the healthcare debate right. uh, because I don't think the the Democrats on stage uh, are being completely forthright uh, with this debate. And uh, I'd love to get your thoughts on this. As I see it, uh, it's it's really a strategic decision, um, and that is if the Democrats forcefully go after the way we do healthcare now. They'll be engaging the insurance industry and the pharmaceutical industry and the big hospital industry in a head-on debate. And they'll be going after their money. Mm-hmm. And so moderates, centrists, Ramites, whatever you want to call them. <laughs> Ramites. Yeah, whatever they are, they, 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 they don't want that fight. It's, and, and guys, I'm old enough. I lived through it with the Clintons. 
when they had their health care plan, with Obama, when he had his health care plan, they don't want to engage those powerful industries and uh, because that's a well-financed force of opposition that will go against them. So what they're trying to do is have their cake and eat it too and say, well, you... We can keep the private insurance and have uh, a healthy public option. We can have both things, and it could work for everybody. But the way they disguise it, Samina, is they say, we're doing this on behalf of the people out there who love their their (laughs) private plans. We all know nobody loves their private plan. And so we've now watched this debate. Four times, I want to mm-hmm. say. Four, Four times. times. And it's different people like, uh, oh boy, is gone. Mulraney, whatever the hell gets named. Mulvaney. Mulvaney, he's gone. You mean Jim- Delaney? Delaney, yeah. <laughs> I, I've mixed up two Congress. Uh, and Ryan from Ohio, he's gone. But now it's Klobuchar saying it and Mayor Pete is saying it. So it's just the characters have changed, but the essential point they're making is still the same. And you still have Bernie and Elizabeth Warren standing up strong. Uh, for their beliefs. It's it's so interesting because, okay, it's like we're basically, uh, to put it in really broad terms, you're really dealing with a Medicare for all single payer system versus uh, most of the folks on the stage who were, are not supporting a Medicare for all. They're supporting what's known as a public option. Mm-hmm. And that's basically essentially saying, oh, you can buy something like uh, Medicare from the government. But here's the problem. Uh, as I see it. And I'm, I've been spending a lot of time, you know, talking to folks about Medicare for All, and I'm actually going to a single-payer conference this weekend in, in Portland, of all places, um, is it, the public option will will maintain the inefficient, extremely costly administrative um, framework that is part of the reason why we have such a, we have the, the most expensive health care, but the least effective. Um, I, I think it was uh, Physicians for a National Health Program, the estimate they came up with um, in one of their white papers was 31 cents of every dollar we spend on health care goes to administration. So mm. that's part of it. Wow. The other thing is you, you really, uh, you're, you're still, you're, you kind of have a situation where people are saying, oh, you're going to be able to negotiate. You're going to be able to do all these things. But I, I just don't. And, and a lot of folks who are for the public option will say, have said, oh, if you have this public option, the private sector will do what they can to kind of compete with the public option in terms of pricing. But here's what's here's what's happening today. People have insurance people through their workplace or through the exchanges. And they they pay for it, but when they actually need it, it's not there. And I think a couple of candidates on stage, specifically Elizabeth Warren, said, look, I've spent my life studying this. Mm -hmm. This is why people go broke yeah. because the, and they had two thirds. I think she had a, a specific number. Two thirds of the people who uh, went broke because of health care had insurance. The conversation that I want to see them get into around insurance has more to do with the pharmaceutical industry, because if we look at it Now, the pharmaceutical industry has something to do with this opioid epidemic. It's being sued by multiple states, and a lot of people don't want to get in bed with the pharmaceutical industry because of that. So let's have the conversation on why these doctors were paid more by the pharmaceutical industry for over-prescribing certain drugs and in black and brown communities why they under-prescribe certain drugs, right? 
So I I want I would like to hear that conversation in particular from these candidates. Like, have you taken money from this industry in the past? We know Cory Booker has, right? But how has it affected where you govern at? Because all of them govern somewhere. And Mayor Pete has a big opioid problem in South Bend. Let's see it. Let's hear about it. Mm -hmm. Well, I what what kind of unnerves me, uh, disturbs me, or is that here we are four debates in. I'm hearing the same old argument. I'm literally the same verbiage, although I do believe that the, the distinction of last night's debate, instead of saying people love their private plan, they're saying that people fought hard to get their private plan. So now they're like changing uh, their rhetoric. I think it's really important. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, uh, the two of you, that the Democrats have some form of unity on this issue. Uh, when they head off from their convention in July in Milwaukee to to go up against, I presume it would be Donald Trump. Uh, I would like to see some unity on this issue. And uh, I don't know if I'm getting the sense that like the Klobuchar's, the Mayor Pete's, um, who else is on that stage that talks this way? Uh, the, Beto. The, Beto. Beto. The, yeah, the, these quote-unquote centrist, these moderates, will sign on to a Bernie or Elizabeth Medicare for All plan. We'll go all down, go, go double down on it, you know, and support it. Uh, I don't I don't see that right now. They still are repeating the same old line that this is going to lead to defeat uh this is going to hurt people it's it's too uh, wrenching etc and so forth uh samina you've watched these debates now do you have any sense that the democrats can be unified in this issue um i think this is this is where the the party is fighting its base is is how i perceive it and i feel like that's been the case now for many years um it sort of like came to a fore after the 2016 because frankly had we had a different outcome i think the debates would have would have still existed i think there would still be people upset about it but it would have had a different tenor um it's just there are 85 percent of democrats support medicare for all and I see the numbers sort of move around as, you know, these debates uh, happen. But I think at the end of the day, and this is where I, I think uh, what I have, the problem I have with a lot of electeds that are in place at the federal level is they don't use their bully pulpit. They don't use that office to educate their constituents. Like a Pramila Jayapal, who is the author of the Medicare for All Act of 2019, mm-hmm. she is literally out there constantly going, she, she was in like, she was in Iowa. She's like, she's constantly, she'll be, you know, sort of like uh, sending a video message to this conference. Like she's constantly using her office to educate folks on this issue. But most people are just like, oh, no. And like, they're just using the sort of the, the Medicare for all opponents talking points. And I think I mentioned this the last time I was on your show is that there's this lobbying group called the Partnership for America's Healthcare Futures, financed mm-hmm. by insurance companies, hospital systems, um, drug makers, um, unfortunately, some big uh, societies like medical societies, Notably, no longer the American Medical Association because we we <laughs> I've worked with a bunch of activists. We shame them essentially for supporting this, mm-hmm. but they're out. But they're literally spending, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars to fight this. And it, it, I, I I get these political emails 
they say, you know, um, uh, sponsored by, I can't even remember, it was like something against socialized medicine or sponsored by pharma, which is the drug maker mm-hmm. lobbying group. It's the problem th- that we have is that our party doesn't hasn't decided <laughs> um, what religion they are. Right. They don't. They haven't made up their minds. Like, oh, who are we going to take money from, and and what do we really believe? They're afraid to believe something. And I we had this conversation on the phone. You know, Democrats run on us on a certain set of talking points, but they don't govern that way. And so, why should why should voters trust them? Mm. That's really mm. the problem. And it's like that on the local level also. Oh. Absolutely. Uh, well, I'll, I'll go one step further. They don't even run on those yeah. points. And uh, it, what you said was very interesting. Kenneth, I'd love to get your response to what Samina just said. Think, think about this. Uh, what she said, they're at, the Democrats are at odds with their deba- at the, with their base. What was it, 85% did you say? 85% of Democrats. Support a Medicare for all, uh, a single-payer plan. Just think about that. Look at the Republican Party. Roughly 85% to 90, I've seen polls, of Republicans support Donnie Trump, no matter what he does. So you don't see any deviation, at least on all the scandals. There's a little murmurs of deviation on his attitude toward the Kurds. But you don't see any significant deviation from the Republicans no. uh, in the face of all this evidence. And yet, Democrat, you still had four Democrats in the face of polls that show 85% of their basis for single payer, you had four at least, and I may be forgetting some who weren't on that stage, arguing against what 85% of the Democrats want. But, but <laughs> How does this party ever expect to win anything? 85, uh, I think the numbers are pretty similar when it comes to a $15 an hour minimum wage. Uh, and people are still fighting against it because of lobbyists and the money on politics. I think some of these people will never change as long as there's they get that money in politics. If we don't change how we finance elections, because let's be clear, uh, Cory Booker. Yes, I like to pick on him. <laughs> Poor Cory was financed by big pharma and yeah. charter schools. I mean, there is no way around it. So if we talk about wanting to change the system, then we have to change the entire system. And, I mean, back to Cory Booker for a second. Okay, let's bash him a little more. No, not bashing him, but he played Mayor Pete's role from last time. He said when they talked about health care, yet I feel like I've had this conversation already on this stage with these same people, but he also said, look, whatever healthcare plan we choose, it still leaps and beyonds better than what Donald Trump is doing, period. And he kept harping on that point. I think that was really effective last night because he kept going back to Trump. When a lot of people were shooting at Warren, it's like, yeah, you can shoot at Warren all you want, But then there's Trump. Well, and listen, he's absolutely correct. There's a a serious existential crisis we're facing. I can't say this enough on health care. Donald Trump uh, and the Republicans are in court right now in Texas. I cannot Mm -hmm. say this enough to trying to upend what little Obamacare remains uh, and would leave most people in this country or many people in this country, I should say, without health care. 
and to try to undo Obamacare because they're freaking insane and on the issue of Obama and anything he did. They, they just that's about all I can say. So there is an existential crisis. I mean, uh, absolutely. As much as Samina and I may want Bernie's single payer or whatever, I mean, the reality is, if the Democrats don't get their act together mm-hmm. and uh, defeat Donald Trump and elect American president, this country could be back at square one, worse off than before Obama. Uh, so there is. I mean, Cory Booker has a legitimate point. I want to say there. I, I think he definitely has a legitimate point. Um, do I see Klobuchar and Buttigieg and uh, Beto backing up? Them when we get to uh, Milwaukee, yes, because they won't have a choice. Period. They won't have a choice. Either, either it's back up whoever the nominee is. And let me be clear. Let me say it here. It won't be Mayor Pete. It won't be Senator Klobuchar, and it won't be Beto. It, it won't be those three. All right. So let's. Uh, we're gonna let's get uh, from each one of you right now. Your prediction, who will be, of these candidates on that stage, in your humble opinion, who are the three in serious contention to get the nomination? If it's four, you can name four. Uh, we'll start with you, Samina. Who are the four, three or four that you think will be uh, the nominee? I mean... Could be, <laughs> the pressure. Well, I mean, I, I have to look at who's polling and who's got the momentum and so i'd say you know elizabeth warren bernie sanders joe biden that's where we're at elizabeth warren bernie sanders joe biden buddha judge will be one of the last on stage but he won't make it all right very good we're going to take a brief break when we come back i'm going to ask candace and samina to break it down the 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 bernie and elizabeth challenge they're both there both of them we all agree i, I agree they're there too obviously but i don't know somebody something's got to give there on the progressive side of things we'll be right back after this Did you know that 40% of the people in Illinois opt to be cremated? Well, it's true. And Chicagoland Cremation Options honors their wishes by providing cremation services directly to the general public. Chicagoland Cremation Options provides an affordable, ethical, and easy cremation arrangement, whether in person or online. Save thousands and streamline the process by going directly to Chicagoland Cremation Options. It's a family-owned business operated by my good friend, Douglas Klein. Here's how you reach them. ChicagolandCremationOptions.com. One more time. ChicagolandCremationOptions.com. Here to let parents, students, and members of the public know that the Chicago Teachers Union leadership informed our bargaining team that they would recommend to their House of Delegates that a strike should proceed tomorrow. Without question, the deal that we put on the table is the best in the Chicago Teachers Union's history. It provides a 16% pay raise for all employees. It would lift up lowest paid workers immediately. On average, support staff will see a 38% pay raise over the life of the contract under the current offer. Hey, podcast fans. The Sun-Times political web series, The Fran Spielman Show, is now available 
as a podcast. That's right. Just like this show, The Ben Jarofsky Show. The Franz Spielman Show features weekly interviews with lawmakers, journalists, and others who are shaping our city. Fran holds nothing back. She goes deep into City Hall to bring you the real scoop on Chicago politics. And now you can listen to her show on all of your favorite podcast apps. Head to the City Hall with Fran and get even more great political coverage from the Chicago Sun-Times. Listen and subscribe now at suntimes.com forward slash Fran dash show. That's suntimes.com forward slash Fran dash show. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Dash Show, live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Uh, Candace Castillo and Samina Mustafa in the studio were breaking down last night's debate. Uh, we, before we went to break, Samina and Candace had uh, announced that uh, they decided that uh, Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, Joey Biden would definitely be, uh, it would be one of those three who would emerge from these debates uh, as the candidate, uh, 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 the, the Democratic nominee, and um, Candace also said Mayor Pete will probably be in contention. I'm still not giving up on Kamala Harris. Everybody seems to have forgotten Kamala. I was drinking. Remember the last time I was drinking the Kamala Kool Aid? <laughs> Candace, like that Kool Aid's terrible. So can we can we have a small pause for the cause on Kamala? Okay, go ahead. <laughs> I live and work in, on Chicago Southside. Mm -hmm. In the summertime, I go to almost every street festival, every fair on the Southside. It was more than disturbing at the Caribbean Fest. Kamala had three white guys working at her table. Then the African Festival for the Arts, Kamala had three white guys working at the table. The things that she says, I'm all for, but then I look and it's the same three. So where is she moving the needle at? It's her whole staff in South Carolina. Does she have no black supporters in Chicago? Like, what is it? There's something that's, Missing. Even Bernie's team, who historically, past election, hadn't been that diverse, was smart enough to have black and brown people at those festivals. I, it, it, it doesn't add up. Biden's team, the same thing. Like, what isn't adding up? Wait, tell me, did Biden's team have black people? Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cory Booker, too. But... Buddha Judge even tried to hold the town hall here with black folks. <laughs> he did not have a table at African. But the fact that it's the yeah. same white guys on the north side with the Kamala table, just there's something about it that throws it off to me and something that's like something's not quite right. I think she's in high contention for a vice presidential nod. I think... I honestly think from some of her most recent interviews about the impeachment, she's like, yeah, I know this probably won't happen. So let me do my job extra well and be a contender for this VP seat. Mm -hmm. I think she's a contender for VP. I don't see her on the big stage. Your thoughts on Kamala? Yeah, I, I'm, I, I know some folks who... Uh, uh, I do know a, a couple of uh, black women who do support her, and I, uh, when I get on black Twitter, I, I see a lot of them sort of reacting to folks kind of dismissing um, their support of Kamala Harris. But 
Um, I feel like I feel like Gamal Harris's performance last night was kind of mixed. I'd, I'd say there were some things that she was strong on. She, like Booker, sort of brought up Donald Trump again. But I felt like when she was sort of focused on kicking Trump off Twitter, like that was kind of a small game to play, mm-hmm. especially up against Elizabeth Warren. Like Elizabeth Warren's like, I don't want to kick him off Twitter. I want to kick him out of the White House. Yeah. Like, that's why we're here. Mm-hmm. So she was kind of playing a small game. And so there's that. I also would say, and I can't remember when I read this, but it's it's really um, bizarre. But I think it's also partly because it is relatively still early. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't have the name recognition of some of the other candidates. Like Bernie Sanders you know who he is. Mm-hmm. Whether you support him or not, people know who Bernie yeah. Sanders is. People know who Joe Biden is. Like, those are probably the most well-known presidential contenders right now. Elizabeth Warren's obviously getting there, but she's not, she probably, like, if you asked, if you did a poll today and said, who has the best name recognition, I'm sure it's like one of those two. Mm-hmm. Um, and Joe Biden probably would beat all of them. So, I would say there's probably some folks who just don't know her name as much or know what she stands mm-hmm. for. And I can't remember who said it, but there was like an interview where they were talking to a voter and uh, and they were she was they were asking, why are you supporting Biden? He's like, well, we kind of, you know, we, we know him. He's like a known quantity. Mm-hmm. And so I think there might be some folks who maybe that don't either know who she is or know know what she stands for. I, I think there are some folks who don't know who she is or who don't know what she stands for, sure. I'll, I'll take that. But I also think that she had a breakout moment where her name was everywhere for a week after the last debate, and her team should know better. I, I, I just think there was she had a moment where she could call everybody and start garnering that support. She has money. Right? She's going to make the stage in November. No matter what happens, she'll be on that stage, too. However, she has just not fizzled out, not given up. We'll see what the second inning for her looks like. Mm -hmm. She'll be around for a while, right? But she's not impressive. You're talking about... Kamala. Oh, Kamala. And there was a story actually about a month ago or in the last few weeks where they were actually talking about her team hadn't started sort of regular meetings Mm -hmm. until recently, which is a little surprising considering how long she's been out there. And honestly, had you asked the question two or three years ago, like everybody knew Bernie was going to run again Mm -hmm. and had a suspicion that Elizabeth Warren was going to run. But I think there were a lot of folks who probably looked at someone like Kamala Harris as sort of like, uh, somewhat of an heir apparent in terms of like she was getting a lot of um, establishment support. And she like if you look at the state of California, I think a lot of her endorsements have come from California. I don't know how much support has come from outside of California, but, um, you know, she a lot of folks who aren't even necessarily uh, ideologically where she is came out and endorsed her like Barbara Lee, who is arguably more aligned with, with Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren. Yeah, I know you're Barbara Still, Lee fan. I know yeah, I'm a big, yeah, yeah. but she, you know, she was, she's playing, they're all playing the home team, yeah. right? By the way, uh, whether Elizabeth Warren, did she have uh, uh, black people manning her booths at the, Yes. Okay. I <laughs> just had to ask. Uh, all right. All right. So let's get to it. Uh, close with this. Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, uh, I think they've been admirable in all these debates and how they've avoided going after each other. Uh, they don't demean each other. 
They don't try to uh, like play on the vulnerabilities of one another. They don't even do it like passive aggressively. Uh, they and they 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 support each other on the issue of healthcare. So I really appreciate that. There's a part of me that thinks at some point something's got to break, and they're going to have to figure out who's going to support who because I see their vote being the same. Uh, do you share my same thoughts on this, Candace? No, but I can't tell you why. <laughs> I, can, I can give you a little bit. I can give you a little bit. Uh, a little bit. Okay. So I know some people who refuse to support Warren, not because so much of her policies, but some of her donors. So one big donor to Elizabeth Warren is uh, Bill and Melinda Gates. So there are some people with big issues with the Gates Foundation and what they've done, at least in America, around education, who refuse to support her over that, even though ideologically they might agree, they may agree with her, but they won't support her hmm. over that. Yeah, I mean, come on, take the money. I mean, that's how you do it in politics. You take the money, right? Uh, uh, I'm like, are oh, you going to... Go after her because she took the money from. Her. I guess some people would. Uh, what do you think, Samina? I, look, that's where she knows it's Elizabeth Warren knows it's an issue, which is why she brought it up during the debate. Right? I mean, at some point she said, uh, "You know, we have to make it clear that we're not uh, the people we want to regulate." And that the people we are going to be in charge of writing legislation and potentially working on these, like, you know, breaking up these monopolies, that we are pushing back, that we will push on those those entities like the Twitters, like the Facebooks. That was part of that sort of Kamala Harris, Elizabeth Warren back and forth, mm -hmm. right, where she was like, let's kick Donald Trump off Twitter. It's like, at the end of the day, people are wondering, are, and this is something that actually is, is a pretty uh, uh, compelling argument to make that's a nonpartisan argument. You will talk to people who are Republican. They'll say like, yeah, I, I, I don't like the idea of corruption or that some, somehow my elected person is, is in the pocket of so-and-so like they, they still don't, people don't like that idea. Mm -hmm. They may support someone like Donald Trump because they think like, Oh, he doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't um, have to uh, respond to those people in theory, because in he's theory. so rich yeah. in theory, because he's so rich, but you know, what you find is people like <laughs> people like that only take care of their own. But that's a separate conversation. But so, I mean, I think it, it's not an unfair point. I mean, my one of the things that got me, you know, when I was doing my research for my run is that, you know, the the incumbent, Mike Quigley, takes money from defense contractors, insurance companies, you know, his one of his uh, his campaign treasurer is the daughter of a private equity executive. So it's like people do care about the ideology and we're learning more and more about who Bill Gates really is. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> He's right. making his opinions. Uh, these people aren't invisible. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, mm -hmm. and we also have more information. This is not, I mean, we have robber barons with Twitter accounts. Yeah. Well, go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. And I mean, so for instance, the older woman I, work for took no money no developer dollars now that that says a lot if 
because people want to develop in Woodlawn and Inglewood. She took no money from these companies, which says like, yo, I don't want to be in the pocket of anybody. Mm -hmm. And that and that's the reality of, of the situation. Of course, it gets harder when you get there. But that's the reality of the situation. People care about who you take money yeah. from. And it says a lot about you. So, yes, uh, plus Bernie got some big endorsements yesterday. Yes, AOC. Uh, and Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib. Um, and you might, you're going to see more endorsements come out yeah. for him, right? Yeah, so AOC, who in New York is known as the Samina Mustafa of New York, uh, endorsed <laughs> Bernie. But Samina has not endorsed Bernie uh, yet. By the way, if we're going to follow the pattern, we'll leave it at this, that Illinois successfully followed, the Democrats in Illinois followed uh, in the last gubernatorial primary, uh, the Democrats would nominate Tom Steyer. Because he could finance his own campaign. If we're going to follow the 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 winning strategy that has prevailed, Candace is looking at me like, "What?" But you know, that's I, how we did it in this state. My kid is the biggest JB supporter ever, right? Like seriously, like flip votes. Got my grandmother to vote for JB. Got his teachers, two of his teachers, flipped their vote to JB. Now. My my child is only nine. Now <laughs> okay. he was seven. Yeah. Then. However. What JB did actually work. Why did my kid know every JB talking point? Because when he watched videos of gymnasts on uh, YouTube, a JB role came up mm. first. Yeah. It worked. I don't trust Tom Steyer in the same way. Well, he's also coming at it much later. Uh, and the and the Steyer name, I was being a little facetious, but the Steyer name is not w uh, well-known nationally. Like, the Pritzker name is known in Chicago. The Pritzker yep. name uh, has a certain amount of uh, resonance here in the city of Chicago. Samina Mustafa, Candace Castillo, it's always a blast talking politics with you. I think we'll bring you back in November. I just looked at the debate. Uh, who was who the lineup, Samina? So it's uh, eight have qualified, so it's, it's kind of who you would expect. It's uh, Biden, Sanders, Warren, Harris, uh, Buttigieg, Booker, Steyer, and Yang. Yeah. Yang. Wow. That's up to talk oh, about in November. Yang is still hanging around with his math button on uh, last night. Candace Castillo, Samina Mustafa, thank you so much. I also want to thank Atiba Buchanan and David Seaton. Outstanding job they did uh, earlier in the show. And of course, the man, the myth, the legend, as Candace had, uh, pointed out, back home in Alton, Illinois, they call him White Lightning. <laughs> Give yourself a raise. No Take it out of. <laughs> Take it out of all oh, but tomorrow will be all teacher talk, folks. Will be a lot of teacher talk tomorrow on the Ben Jarofsky Show. See you tomorrow, everybody. And remember, you can download previous Ben Jarofsky shows and Benny J bonus interviews at both Chicago Sun Times and Chicago Reader websites, chicago.suntimes.com, chicagoreader.com, and wherever else you download podcasts. Downloaders. We live stream this program. Kind of having some issues with the live stream lately, but hey, we're gonna get there, all right? Follow us and see what happens at Benny J Show, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J Show. Also on the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel and on Facebook at Benny J Show, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J Show. See you tomorrow.